0: Yeah, well, here we go.
1: Blob Talk Radio.
2: Welcome, everyone, to BAM's Radio as we get another edition underway here in a frigid night in the state of Alabama. Going to be down in the teens to low 20s tonight. Everybody hopes staying warm, hopefully tuning in to the show. Uh, Going to be joined in about five minutes by William Redfish Barger uh, to talk some Alabama football. A lot going on. We'll see if uh, Lane Kiffin, by the end of the night, is the – Official head coach of the University of Houston. I know uh, that that report broke earlier today. Now down to three finalists: Lane Kiffin and Tony Orlando, the defensive coordinator, and uh, of course uh, Major White, former Alabama offensive coordinator, who's the OC at Houston. Uh, very interested now. Uh, as I'm uh, got my TV on mute, the College Football Awards Show by the Home Depot uh, is on right now, and the first person that I see is none other than Jonathan Allen who has won the Nagurski Award this week and the Ted Hendricks Award and the Nagurski Award of course uh for the national defensive player of the year and uh, also the Ted Hendricks Award for the defensive end of the year and the Bidneric Award I think is the next uh, award go- that's cut kind of up up for uh, the uh uh for uh, being a being uh, about to be awarded by the college football uh award show here on ESPN I think it's the next award up uh, along with the Outland Trophy but uh, we'll see if Alabama takes home any more hardware. But uh, they've already uh, taken home quite a bit, uh, especially SEC awards. Uh, and uh, as uh, Jonathan Allen was the SEC Defensive Player of the Year as well, Coach Saban the uh, the uh, Coach of the Year, and even Jalen Hurts Offensive Player of the Year uh, by uh, the, uh, the Associated Press. So uh, uh, some big-time stuff going on. Uh, This college football award show will be on for about another hour. But, again, always nice to see John Allen on your TV screen. And now I'm going to be joined by Thomas Watts. Very interesting an award show thus far. I guess the biggest shock, Thomas,
0: is Daniel Carlson does not win the Lou Groza Award. That was stunning. But then I sat down and I've been watching Twitter as I've been getting ready for the show, Drew, and the cat that won it from Arizona State has put up similarly gaudy statistics. So Yes, yes, he has. So so it, Very I, true. even though it was stunning, at the same time, once you actually look into it, you're like, okay, I can buy this. I'm not sure I agree with it, but I can buy it. Kind of well, like in the same I mean, vein of Jonathan Allen not being in New York for the Heisman Trophy, but that's a whole other can of worms. Well, yeah, I mean – it was won by Zane Gonzalez of Arizona State. But when, you, like you said,
2: Thomas, you made a great point. It, and it's not supposed to be a career award. But when you think about it, the young man has made more field goals than anyone in the history of college football. And then this year, from 50-plus yards, he was 7 of 9. So he's pretty dad-gone-good dad kicker. I mean, their, their team's mediocre. Uh, and Auburn had a better year, no question about it. But as I just told someone, a friend of mine in the media – He didn't win it. He was a finalist, but he'll probably win it next year. And, of course, uh, the first reaction was, well, no, he won't. He's going to graduate and turn pro. Not so fast. Uh, I think he's leaning toward returning and mentoring his brother, who is going to come in behind him, be a true freshman next year, and likely redshirt like Daniel did. And I think he wants to uh, kind of mentor his brother for a year and come back to Auburn. But still uh, an outstanding kicker uh, and was great against Alabama, was four for five with his only miss. From I believe fifty-two yards.
0: Yeah, he's a heck of a player, and uh, I—I'll be honest, I haven't been able to keep up with the Auburn kicking situation because I've been in the middle of exams. You know, I, as I was preparing for the show, I'm writing the little blurb that goes into the podcast, and uh, I had to start laughing because. You know, the football in you know, Alabama goes wins their 26 FEC championship, third in a row. Go team! But even more than that, it feels like this week has continued to go at 200 miles an hour, even as all the football players and are, are in exams. The only reason I know this is I'm in exams as well. So I, it, it was astonishing to me with the Lane Kiffin situation, and then Alabama just flipped a, a young man, flipped, got another commitment. So even though it's, I guess I put it in air quotes, the off season, even though that really is a stretch, it's still crazy things going on around college football, particularly at the capstone.
2: Well, and they just, and let me uh, let me correct something. Uh, Basically, what we just saw was uh, not really the order, but the awards that were going to be given out this hour. And the next award going out has been the Doak Walker, which was formerly won by Alabama's Trent Richardson. It was uh, awarded by uh, a favorite of mine, Calvin Hill, who, of course, is the father of Grant Hill for Duke Blue Devil. But I digress. This is an Alabama show. The winner of the Doak Walker
0: Award is Dante Foreman of the Texas Longhorns. Well, when you lead major college football in rushing and you're doing it with two less games, you know, Deontay Foreman had a legitimate, you know, much like Jonathan Allen, Deontay Foreman had a legitimate conversation point to be in New York for the Heisman Trophy. So it's, that's, I guess that's not surprising. I guess the big snub, if you want to call it that, is Dalvin Cook, because Cook is almost certainly going to go pro from Florida State. But, you know, Deontay Foreman, heck of a season, even on a six and six football team. So, you know, Tom Herman, you know, recently vacated of Houston, cough cough Lane Kiffin, uh, <laughs> cough cough hint hint. No, recent. Uh, Tom Herman's got. Uh, he's going to have to replace a two thousand yard rusher because I believe Foreman has announced he's going pro. Yes, he really has. That's a great point. And
2: I guess before we get William Redfish Barger on, Thomas, we wanted to give you your your soapbox here and your thoughts on the SEC championship game. Uh, what you you know, kind of your take on that? Alabama with a fifty four sixteen beat down. And also uh, heading into this playoff against Washington, and uh, what's your and 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 maybe if you, if you want to t- throw in a little Heisman. Uh, and by the way, I agree with you, John Allen not being there. If if Jabril Peppers is, is a joke, but that's a, another you know rant for another day.
0: Yeah, well, well, you know, let's, let's just put that in a box and put it off the side by saying that is that that was ridiculous. The only the problem with the Heisman voting Heisman voting is some people send their ballots in like the first week of November like they they literally get them write three names and send it in with several weeks of season left and stupid. yeah I would be willing to bet those people that you say let's put on the tape and watch Jonathan Allen. And they think you're talking about an interview. They're not talking about what they're doing on the field. So I, I really do question the qualifications of many of these Heisman voters. I mean, I'll be honest, Paul Feinbaum's a nice guy, but he, he, he doesn't know football. He couldn't talk his way out of a football locker room to save his neck. So I really do question some of the, the credentials and the knowledge of people to really make these sort of calls. But, you know, apparently if you've been around a sport for 20 to 25 years, you just osmosize knowledge. Or that's what we've heard. But, no, let's go back. Let's talk SEC championship game. The SEC championship game, honestly, it went off kind of like I thought it would. I was a little surprised that Florida was able to move the ball as well as they did first fits and spurts. But once Alabama's defense locked in and figured out what was going on, it really fell apart. And then the interception certainly didn't help. Uh, you know, the Crimson Tide – they're not a first half team for some reason. It's like they have to get settled in and figure everything out on the fly. And you wonder if something like that would bite them against the Washington Huskies, but it hasn't bitten them yet. And it's not like Alabama has been playing a bunch of pushovers. So it went pretty much like I thought Alabama, you know, the game was close, game was close. And then suddenly you look up and Alabama's up by 20 to 30 points. So, you know, congrats to Alabama, 26 overall, three SEC championships in a row and, you know, that that's just that is what it is so you know congr- again congratulations and you know you've got to give some credit to Jim McElwain for some ridiculous reason he's been under fire by Florida fans because the Gators have made it to Atlanta but they've been non-competitive but I really think you have to give him some credit because particularly in that first quarter Florida's game plan looked really really good against a very good Crimson Tide defense yes it did Thomas no doubt about that and
2: We'll be joined by William Barger at about 7.15. I know we'll get him on the phone line. But, uh, you know, the bottom line was, you know, the biggest the biggest key for Coach Mack is getting the quarterback issue solved. Um, then now they are getting involved with Jarrett Stidham, who I think is visiting them this weekend. If I were Jarrett Stidham and I had a choice, I would choose the Gators over Auburn just for the simple fact that I think Coach Mack is a better uh, offensive uh, uh, play caller and – a better quarterback guru, and I know, I, and I said offensive play caller. Really, Doug Nussmeier calls the plays, but I just think he's a better offensive mind, as far as scheming and even developing talent than what we've seen out of Rhett Lashley and Gus Malzahn.
0: Granted, but Drew, Auburn, Drew, come on now, Jeremy Johnson's going to win the Heisman Trophy. Well, haven't you all read All, I,
2: all <laughs> I know is that Cam Newton. They didn't develop Cam Newton. He was a freak. Uh, Nick Marshall wasn't as good his sophomore year as he was, or excuse me, his senior year as he was his junior year. He still had a pretty good season, but he's a defensive back in the NFL. You name me one quarterback that Gus Malzahn's put in the NFL besides Cam Newton, who was a one-year wonder uh, as a junior college transfer. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. I'm waiting. How many has Jim McElwain put in? He's put in three: one at Colorado State, and then Greg McElroy and AJ McCarron. I rest my case. No doubt about that. But I just think Jim McElwain uh, has done a great job developing quarterbacks. And if I were uh, Jarrett Stidham, I would be headed to Florida. But we'll see. Auburn's recruited him for a a good while. uh, They feel like they're in excellent shape to get him. And it would be an upgrade. I mean, he has more physical talent uh, than a uh, Sean White, who has been solid for Auburn. Uh, But we will see. Now, Alabama, uh, Jalen Hurts heading into the college football playoff, number one team in the country. Uh, he played okay against Florida, uh, the Florida Gators, not great. Okay, now, but we'll see how that goes. But I think uh, overall he still has done a great job this season, no question about it. I mean, uh, for what they've asked him to do, uh, he's, you know, he only has nine interceptions. He's got 20, nearly 2,600 passing yards, uh, 850 rushing yards, and he's SEC Offensive Player of the Year as a true freshman. So he's done what they've asked him to do and now has a chance to help write this narrative for Alabama to go 15-0. and But first they've got to go 14-0 and and beat the Washington Huskies. And we'll see what happens with his offensive coordinator, Lane Kiffin. Uh, I think he'll be named the coach later tonight uh, by the end of the night by the University of Houston. I think it's a good fit for Lane. And then we'll see if he stays with the team through the playoff, which I think is more and more likely – considering you know the uh, developments from the coming weekend but now we are going to go to the Sunbelt 10th hotline to our third amigo and that's William Redfish Barger. William always great to have you on BAMS with us again tonight how are you? Doing
3: good Drew how are you buddy?
2: Doing well and I guess first of all uh, the uh, topic of of the day has been Lane Kiffin. Uh, We all have known he had some irons in the fire Uh, as a head coaching candidate at Houston and at South Florida but Houston seems to have the deeper pockets. Uh, they've broken ground on an indoor practice facility, which they did after the Louisville game. They're willing to pay, you know, around $3 million to $3.5 million per year. Uh, there's been some posturing with Jimmy Sexton, but that's nothing new uh, with his client. And, uh, you know, and also with the Lincoln-Riley factor, now he's out of it. And now we've seen also, after Lincoln-Riley has pulled out of this job, that, uh, that Les Miles' name has been removed. It's Major Applewhite, Tony Orlando, and Lane Kiffin just – Your thoughts as it looks like Lane Kiffin will probably be named the head coach at Houston uh, tonight
3: at some point. Well, you know, congratulations to Lane. I think he's, uh, you know, earned the opportunity to be a head coach again. Uh, But from the Alabama perspective, I mean, I'm a little bit concerned um, about the hire because of – you know, the situation there at Houston, you know, Tom Herman, you know, took everybody off that staff with him to Texas except for two other coaches. I I can't remember the other one, but I know Major Applewhite is one of them. And, uh, you know, they've had to promote uh, GAs to, uh, you know, full-time coaching positions just to keep going out on the road to recruit. So, you know, if Lane is officially named the head coach of Houston tonight, you have to kind of look at that situation and, you know, is, is Lane Kiffin going to retain Major Applewhite? Um, if he doesn't, um, then all of a sudden, you know, Applewhite's going to stop recruiting for him. And, you know, they've got to have, you know, guys out there beating the bushes, you know, to, to you know, keep up the lifeblood of the program. So that, that you know, concerns me a little bit as far as, you know, Lane sticking around and coaching, um, you know, through the college football playoffs, but you know we'll see how that works out. Um, I, I just, you know, if you'd asked me that same question yesterday, I would have been like, you know, yeah, he's going to, you know, take the Kirby Smart route. But I think there's a little bit different dynamic in play with what's going on over in Houston. Then, if he
2: doesn't, and Nick Saban kind of answered that question today and said that. Uh, He wasn't going to – you know, he didn't want to talk about hypotheticals anymore, but they would have to kind of cross that bridge if they came to it. Uh, If he's not with the University of Alabama and through the playoffs, and as Coach Saban admitted, he thinks Lane would like to be, and we're going to hear from Rob Sellers later in the show, William, who was on my show on Tuesday, and his take was that Lane would be named the coach by Thursday. I talked to him on Tuesday he said he felt like the University of Houston would want the exposure of Lane Kiffin staying with the program, but they also know he needs to get guys on the ground recruiting. Uh, what what direction do you think he might go uh, as far as the play caller? Uh, of course, the the, uh, the first thought had always been Steve Sarkeesian. There's been some demons creep up for Steve, and that's what all I'll say about it on this show uh, with uh, Sarkeesian uh, to, to kind of cloud that what do you think would uh, Saban's move would be since he, you know, he's never really done this. He's always let the coordinator stick through the, the playoff or the bowl prep. What do you think he might do in that situation in your mind?
3: Well, I think if, uh, you know, you would have asked me this question last Thursday, we'd have been in the same situation. Um, you know, my obvious answer would have been Steve Sarkeesian. But, yeah. you know, I think there's been some, some things that have happened since last Thursday that maybe have muddied that water up a little bit. Uh, but, you know, there's guys on that coaching staff, um, you know, Mike Logsley Billy Napier, just to name a, a couple, um, that have been, you know, offensive coordinators at big-time schools. And, uh, you know, there's some whispers out there that, you know, there might be some guys brought in to, uh, you know, help game plan for Washington um, you know, much in the same way that, you know, the Lane Kiffin hire took place. He was brought in as a consultant, um, you know, prior to, uh, you know, that, that Ohio State game. Um, you know, to, to answer you honestly, I, I really don't know. But if, if it were to happen and, and Lane was, have, you know, had to, you know, go over there full-time to Houston. Um, You know, Mike Loxley and and, uh, Billy Napier would be the two names that I would say first of all. But my hope would be, especially with what's on the table, and, and, you know, piggybacking on what you just said about the, uh, you know, the, the, the talk coming out of Houston as far as getting that exposure, I hope that's what happens. Because I would hate to see, you know, Nick Saban have to make that decision um, you know, when you've had, you know, a guy in place for the last three years, um, that's you know, been been that guy on the offensive side of the ball that's you know dialed stuff off and made the play calls, um, you know, developed three different quarterbacks for three different skill sets and Blake Sims, Jay Coker, and Jalen Hurts. Um, I would hope that, you know, that could be um allowed to play out as far as Lane staying. But I, I just don't know if if that's going to be the case. Um, my hope is that, that it does happen um, because, you know, this is a, uh, uh, you know, a unique deal, a unique season. I mean, they're undefeated. Um, they've gone wire to wire and won the SEC championship. Um, you know, they've got a lot of young players that are involved. Um, you know, so my hope as an Alabama fan that both sides, you know, especially when you consider that that Lane's under contract with Alabama until February the 1st, you know, my hope would be that they can work that thing out and, you know, Lane can kind of take the same approach um, to this Houston job that Kirby Smart did last year with Georgia.
2: And I know there was talk that they thought Kirby was distracted uh, and maybe that was part of the reason that, Clemson uh, played so well, but I think you also have to tip your hat to Clemson and and Deshaun Watson. They were a very good team. They were undefeated, and they did a heck of a job. But what is your thought? Uh, do you think Lane Kiffin would be able to stay focused on the task at hand and trying to finish this drill fifteen zero and make history?
3: Yeah, I do. I think if that you know if it works out that way, um, you know I think Lane is you know such a good play caller. You know he doesn't really have or at least he hasn't had a lot of responsibilities, um, you know, leading up to this game with Washington from a recruiting standpoint with Alabama, you know, that, that dynamic could change very quickly um, if he becomes the head coach at Houston. But, but I think that's kind of a different scenario than what, you know, Kirby was tasked with last year. He was heavily involved with recruiting um, and, you know, all of a sudden had to, you know, kind of change, you know, uh, the, the playing field, so to speak, because you know, he went from being, you know, one of Alabama's lead recruiters to, you know, recruiting part-time for Georgia, um, you know, being the DC part-time for Alabama that that's a little bit different situation than what Kiffin, you know, is tasked with, um, because Lane really hasn't been involved that much as far as recruiting off campus for the last three years. um, that that would be my hope that he could do you know what he's asked to do for the University of Houston from a recruiting standpoint and still stay with Alabama throughout the the playoffs
2: well and, uh, and it's not going to hurt Alabama from a recruiting standpoint because Lane has not done a lot of recruiting the last couple years and, and that's not a criticism it's just a fact um he's done a great job of coaching and and scheming and and building three offenses around three different quarterbacks, and I think that's his biggest boon. And the one thing he's got going for him at Houston, uh, William, as you know, he's got a quarterback. Uh, and, of course, there's been speculation about him transferring to Texas, but I don't think he'd have to sit out another year. It makes no sense. But he has a, a quarterback like Kyle Allen who's very talented who's waiting on
3: him for the Cougars. Yeah, and, you know, there's been some speculation, which I found very interesting. Um, that, that maybe that's going to be David Cornwell's landing spot um, Interesting. In, uh, in Houston. And, you know, based on, you know, I, I really don't put a lot of stock into that rumor right now because right. Lane Kiffin and David Cornwell have kind of had a uh, uh, combustible relationship <laughs>
1: um,
3: over the last yeah. three years. I think that's kind of putting it lightly.
1: But yeah,
3: uh I'll say the least. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, I kind of want to see how this thing plays out. And, you know, the good news for Alabama fans is, you know, you've got the best coach in college football that's kind of overseeing this transition. And, uh, you know, Lane's got a great opportunity in front of him, and I wish him the best. And, uh, you know, if if he does get that job, uh, you know, that thing's been a springboard for for a lot of – you know, other head coaches, you know, that's how Art Riles got the job at Baylor, it's how Kevin Sumlin got the job at Texas A and M and you know, Tom Herman got the job at, at Texas. So um that that's been kind of a huge college football uh head coaching springboard.
1: And you know, I I, I, I
3: you know don't don't really know what lane has to work with over there from an offensive standpoint. But, you know, he's going to have to segue into, um, you know, what do we have to work with on both sides of the ball? And obviously, you know, when he went out there and interviewed, um, he had to present a plan on who he was going to hire for, you know, his staff at Houston. And, uh, you know, those guys have already been contacted and are in play. And, uh, you know, we'll just see how that thing plays out. But, you know, until I learned about the – you know, the the, the mass exodus of, of Tom Herman's staff from Houston to Texas. You know, if you'd asked me this question last week, my my immediate response would have been, well, you know, Lane's going to stay and do the same thing that Kirby Smart did in about a, you know, major college football program. Um, you know, it's obvious that Major Applewhite can't go with, with Tom Herman to Texas. And I think there's one other assistant out there, um a full time assistant that got left behind. And so you're talking about, you know, two full time assistants. I don't anticipate Wayne Kiffin uh keeping Major Applewhite as his offensive coordinator. So from a recruiting standpoint, you know, that makes this, you know, conversation that we're having very difficult.
2: Yeah, it does. It really and then we'll see how it works out. But I will say this and you can i you you may have your own take on it. What I'm hearing is he's going to be a lone wolf at least and won't be taking any Alabama on-field coaches with him. Now, I don't know about support staff, but on-field coaches, are you hearing the same or different?
3: No, I don't think that there's anybody that's, uh, you know, on the payroll for Alabama with their on-the-field coaches that are going to go with Lane to Houston. Now, um, you know, there might be some support staff guys, you know, know, in in the – Recruiting department, you know, maybe a, you know, an underling to Scott Cochran that maybe wants to go, or, um, you know, stuff like that. But no, there's not going to be a, um, you know, much like Kirby tried to do last year with with you know Lane Kiffin with Tosh LaPoy, uh with Scott Cochran. I, I don't anticipate, um, you know, any type of poaching with the recruiting staff. You know, if there's guys that you know, are interested in going with Lane Kiffin to Houston. Um, Nick Saban's in a much more advantageous position to keep them at Alabama if he wants to keep them from a financial standpoint.
2: Yeah, that's a great point. And, uh, but as we talked about, though, they are going to pay Lane very well if he gets this job. And it sounds like they're, uh, they're going to build an indoor practice facility, so he'll have a lot going for him. Now that begs the question, William, about long-term for Alabama at the OC position – I know you talked about Mike Loxley. He's been an offensive coordinator and quarterback coach at Maryland. Uh, he's been a head coach at New Mexico. So, he's you know, he's uh, been uh, involved with Illinois offensively. Uh, then Billy Napier, former OC at Clemson. I really don't think either one of those fits the profile or Mario Cristobal. But just your thoughts on, on – it's very, very preliminary, and, and Lane doesn't have the job yet, but should this happen – uh, what, what just a few thoughts on, on who we might hear from as OC at Alabama?
3: You know, I, you know, I, I think it's kind of uh, jumping the, the the shark to a certain extent to try and speculate on that because, right? You know, if you look at, um, you know, when the marriage between Major Applewhite, like Joe Pendry, and Nick Saban, you know, went south in two thousand and seven. Um, you know, Nick went way out of the box and brought in Jim McElwain, you know, when Matt mm-hmm. got the job at Colorado state and, and they, they brought Doug Nussmeyer in from Fresno state, um, you know, much in the same way that, uh, you know, Nick hired Lane Kiffin three short years ago, all of those hires were, you know, kind of outside of the box and he didn't promote from within you know, I think that's kind of the, you know, the track that, that Alabama fans, you know, should be on as far as who is the next offensive coordinator should be. Um, I, I I personally don't think it's going to be from somebody within the Alabama coaching staff. Now, it, it might mm-hmm. be from a certain standpoint of, you know, let's just say that you know the powers to be at Houston. You know, demand Lane to, um, you know, come over there and, and start recruiting and, uh, you know, being a full time guy, guy there on campus for official visits and that kind of stuff, which that, that really shouldn't be a factor because the dead period starts Sunday night at midnight. That, you know, they can't host official visits. The coaches can't go on, you know, go out on the road. But I, I don't think that, um, Well, let me say this. The the guy might be temporarily promoted out of the the current Alabama staff if Lane chooses to go full-time with Houston. Uh, You know, you might see a Mike Loxley or a Billy Napier, uh, you know, be the signal caller temporarily for the college football playoffs. But I do not expect either one of those guys to be um, the permanent Alabama offensive coordinator beyond the college football playoffs. I think you'll see that come from outside the program.
2: Yeah, I think so as well. And I know there's preliminary names, but what would your thoughts be on someone like a Mark Helfrich who did a great job at Oregon for a couple years, kind of went awry on him, at least especially on the defensive side of the ball. He fits the profile, though, of a, of an, a play caller and a quarterback guy. Uh, there's been rumors about him perhaps being a consultant and helping game plan for Washington, which is kind of what you were referring to. Uh, what would you, what would be your thoughts on him uh, perhaps being a candidate? Well, I mean, I think
3: when you look at the offensive talent that Alabama has, um, you know, especially with him being a you know a, a former fired head coach. I mean, let's not forget, you know, he was in the in the, the national championship game two years ago. Um, you know, and, and kind of carried that torch for Oregon after Chip Kelly left and went to the NFL. Um, you know, obviously he knows what he's doing. If you look at um, you know his his resume, um, I, I think you know if you look at what Alabama has on campus, and I think you have to kind of subtract David Cornwell and, and Cooper Bateman out of the equation. Um, But if you look at what Alabama has on campus going forward, you know, Jalen Hurts, uh, you know, Tua, you know, the the only guy that doesn't really fit that Oregon offensive mode, um, you know, is the four-star quarterback Jones from Florida. He's more of a, you know, a pro-style dropback guy, uh, which I think you need to keep, um, you know, based on how many times, whether it's Lane Kiffin or, Whoever dials up the quarterback, there's always a chance that you're going to get the starter hurt, especially if you run them as much as Lane Kiff and Ram Jalen Hurts this year. But I think that would be a good fit. Um, if Delfrich was the guy, um, you know, there's been some other names floated out there, um, you know, Major Applewhite, which I, I really would not would be too excited about, you know, Rick Newhouse. Yeah. Um, But, you know, I I know that that Nick Saban has a file in his bottom right-hand drawer as far as who he wants to talk to um, as offensive coordinators. And it ranges from guys that are current NFL head coaches, current college football coaches, and, you know, kind of cast-offs much in the same way that, that Lane Tiffin was when he hired him. So.
1: I don't think it's
3: something to worry about as an Alabama fan. You just have to sit back and, you know, kind of trust the uh, the greatest of all-time head coach to, uh, you know, make another, you know, coaching hire. Um, he's done a great job um, throughout the course of his career at Alabama, not just replacing offensive coordinators, but, you know, uh, when he took the job in '07, Kevin Steele was his defensive coordinator, then it became Kirby Smart, you know. Now it's Jeremy Pruitt, so you know there's a reason that guy gets paid what he gets paid to make these decisions. I think we'll all be happy um, when it's over and done with. It's just right now, um, there's very limited information out there about who the next guy is going to be.
2: Yeah, that's very true, and it's really early, and we have to have Lane Kiffin named head coach at Houston first before it. Really, and then to have the dominoes fall for. Uh, had the bowl preparation before that. Of course, Coach Saban did say today that Cooper Bateman and David Cornwell were going to stay through the duration of the playoffs, that that act is gone never understood it anyway. Figured both of them would would stay for the simple fact that I know you got it back when you played, but now it's even to the next level, how much swag you get for going to these freaking bowl games, thousands of dollars worth of stuff, so why not stay until the end and then you still have time to transfer to your other institution, so David Cornwell, Redmond, really can't blame both of them for moving on, and uh now I guess I uh, took for William the next question for you. I guess you can to kind of wrap up the s e c championship game, and then uh we'll we'll break it down even more later, but kind of give it your preliminary thoughts on what the washington matchup
3: um you know well, you know first of all, you know I want to revisit what you just said about you know the two quarterbacks that are transferring out um You know, and I I, I totally appreciate and respect um, the way that both of them are handling it. Um, You know, they've announced their decision and and made it public. But at the same time, both of them are going to stay with their team, um, you know, through the college football playoffs. Um, Totally handled differently than the Blake Barnett transfer. So I think you have to tip your hat to both of them. Um, you know, for, you know, A, Agreed. You, know, you know, moving on, but in, in the manner that they're moving on. And so, I, you know, as a, you know, a guy that grew up in a locker room, I appreciate that. And don't begrudge either one of them for, you know, wanting to go somewhere else to, um, you know, further their athletic careers, uh, number one. Number two, um, you know, talking about the Florida game, um you know that that first quarter Saturday I felt like I was reliving um you know my junior season in 1992 with Alabama um you know that was a as bad of a a played first quarter on both sides of the football that I've seen in a long time out of an Alabama team um you know the offense was obviously overwhelmed um I thought the play calling was very suspect um, what really surprised me more than anything is how unprepared uh, the defense seemed to be, um, you know, against that limited passing attack that Florida presented. Um, that I thought that was, you know, the big shocker um, was how much success that Florida had moving the ball through the air um, against this great Alabama defense. But, um, you know, that game's over with. Um, I thought the icing on the cake was, you know, late there in the fourth quarter when Alabama had their second team offensive line and their 15 running back in the game. And they were able to drive the ball 30 plus yards and score a touchdown against Florida's defense, which I realize is, you know, depleted by injuries, but still um, if you look and, and what, you know, they did, you know, that's a huge plus for the future of Alabama's program. Um, You know, as far as Washington goes, I I mean, I've I've dabbled off into uh, Washington season a little bit from a film standpoint this week. I'll get more into it next week. But, you know, I I think it's a a huge story, Jerry, especially for somebody like you that's got a radio show you know that, that Jonah Williams was, you know, on the same team three years ago with Jake Browning, Washington's quarterback. You know that that's a that's a huge you know media story in my opinion right off the bat. But you know they're they're
4: they're a uh,
3: they have been at least a you know high scoring potent uh, offense makes their living with you know run pass options. You know, there's certainly not somebody that's going to go up against Alabama and line up and run the football down their throats. Um, So, you know, I think that's something that presents a challenge for Nick Saban and Jeremy Pruitt on the defensive side of the ball. Um, You know, Browning's kind of a a dynamic quarterback. Um, He can extend plays, I think, with his feet. But, you know, he's not a guy that, you know, is a Deshaun Watson um, you know, or Johnny Manziel that, that you game plan around for that. He's, he's not that athletic. Um, doesn't have the strongest arm in the gym, uh, but can make most of the throws. I think where the the big matchup is based on what I've seen so far in the limited basis is I think Alabama, you know, whether it's, you know, Blaine Kiffin or Nick Saban or – you know, Cedric, the, the you know, garbage man. If they want to dial up, you know, for any team that they've played this year um, and run the football on the team, I think this is one that you might want to do that with. Um, because I think that, that Alabama, you know, in, in every game, I think that's where Alabama has the advantage is on both sides of the line of scrimmage. And I think that Alabama's offensive line could open some holes And, you know, Damian Harris, Josh Jacobs, Bo Scarborough, Derek Gore, whoever it is, Jalen Hurts, could have a lot of success early and often on this this Washington defense.
2: I agree. I think they need to try to run the football. Uh, I think uh, they need to, especially on the interior, Uh, you know, I I really think that uh, with the three-headed monster at tailback and with Bo Scarborough's development – uh, over the last month, and you, as you said, Jalen Hurts, uh, his mobility at the quarterback position, I think they can hurt Washington um, and then throw off of that. And I do think I, they have a good secondary Washington, no doubt. Yes. So did Florida. Yes, they do. And uh, and I think uh, that Alabama can make plays, but I think the running game will help them do that, uh, and I hope uh, that they try to uh, establish that early. The one thing that's bothered me about Lane Kiffin in the last month, William, is is not involving the tailbacks in the first half of the games.
3: Well, you know, Drew, the the thing that's always bothered me about him to a certain extent, and there's been very little that's bothered me. I mean, you know, the guy's been a magician. But, you know, the one thing that bothers me, and I think it's, you know, I I may get bashed for saying this, but it's much in the same sense of, uh, you know, another offensive so-called guru that's guilty of doing the same thing, you know, Lane has been a magician at moving the ball between the twenties. And once he gets into the red zone, he turns into Gus on and tries to get too cute. And, I agree. you know, if you go back and, and watch the, you know, the touchdown last Saturday that, you know, Bo Scarborough scored, um, you know, you and I could have scored on that play, um, you know, with, with Deron Payne leading the way, and, you know, he destroyed the linebacker on the play side of that. And Bradley Bozeman and curve Curvin destroyed the uh, defensive tackle on the backside linebacker. Um, you know, at, at 46 years old, I could have hopscotch through that hole. But, uh, you know, that's, that's my only complaint about Lane. I get what he does. Um, you know, in in early games as far as spreading people out and, you know, getting into the trickery and and running jet sweeps and, um, you know, wide receiver, you know, screens and all that stuff to try to open things up. But, you know, I maintained that I think this offensive line has progressed to the point, um, you know, up until the Auburn game that they can line up and, and run the ball on anybody right out of the gate. Um, you know, when you've got guys like, you know, Damian Harris and Josh Jacobs and Bo Scarborough, um, I'd love to see, you know, you know, 15 plays in the first quarter where they just try and line up and and impose their will on people. And, uh, you know, I think that's there for the taking, but, but I understand, you know, you know, Lane's, you know, method to, to his madness and what he's trying to do, um, and, you know, a lot of that stuff involves, you know, taking pressure off of a true freshman quarterback in Jalen Hurts, which, you know, we haven't talked about it yet. By the way, um, I, I, I thought back in October that, that uh, Jalen Hurts was going to be, um, especially after Chad Kelly went down with a, with a blown-out knee, I thought Jalen Hurts would win um, the first team all S C quarterback spot at the end of the year. Now, I I did not think that he would be voted by the media and the coaches as the overall SEC player of the year on offense. And I think that's, you know, a huge tribute to what he's done as a true freshman. He's the first true freshman to win that award since Herschel Walker. So, you know, he's in rare company. Um, But, you know, I think when you start looking at, what that young man has brought to this program. I and mean, when you think about when Nick Saban, and this is what makes him the best in the business, you know, people think that, you know, this decision to, to a dual threat quarterback offense started when Lane, uh, Nick Saban hired Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin was a, you know, deep in the woods pro style guy. That's, that's all he's ever been as a play caller. You know, this decision started, Drew, in 2012 when Nick Saban tried to match up with Johnny Manziel for the first time and got beat in Bryant-Denny Stadium and then it extended over in 2013 when, you know, Manziel was able to keep pace with Mike Evans and A.J. McCarron and T.J. Yeldon at Texas A&M and then it spilled over into the kick six game. That's when, you know, Nick Saban made the decision, you know what? If I can't come up with a scheme to corral and slow these guys down, these dual threat quarterbacks, I'm going to go out there. and I'm going to get me one of them myself.
2: And that is a great point. And, of course, as as you were talking, uh, William, and uh, just wanted to uh, let everybody know that the ESPN College Football Awards are going on and the name – Uh, The uh, the latest award has been the Ray Guy Award, which was given to Utah's Mitch Wisanowski, an Australian. Uh, He's the second straight Utah Ute to win the award. Of course, it should have gone to J.K. Scott, but I digress. He was not considered a finalist by the morons in the media who voted on the award and made it a mockery. Uh, But again, J.K. Scott had an outstanding year for the Crimson Tide and on this show, the one thing I do like about BAM's radio is I can say those kinds of things. Uh, but that is my opinion on the Ray Guy Award. I think it's a joke. Uh, two years ago, he was a finalist. But again, congratulations. Nothing against uh, Mitch Wisanowski. He had a great year. But J.K. Scott, I think, should have had at least been a finalist and perhaps won that award. But as we uh, th- there's about 15 minutes left in the show. William John Allen is up for the uh, Bidneric Award we will see if he brings home some more hardware. This week he has brought home the Nagurski Award as National Defensive Player of the Year and the Ted Hendricks Award as the uh, defensive end of the year in college football.
3: Well, you know, starting with your comments about, uh, you know, J.K. Scott, you know, not winning the, uh, the, the, the Ray Guy Award. Um, you know, they've got this screwed-up formula that involves, you know, punt attempts you know, being factored into, you know, that that whole equation. And, uh, you know, I I tell everybody this when they get sideways about an Alabama player not winning an award. Um, And, and, you know, I I revert back to, you know, the song, Don't Cry For Me, Argentina. Uh, J.K. Scott's going to kick in the NFL as a punter as long as his body holds up. I mean, you know, don't feel sorry for J.K. Scott. Right? I get that, you know, as an Alabama oh, yeah. fan, you, you know, you feel like he deserved that award, and certainly he did. Um, he, he's one of the biggest weapons um, on this Alabama football team. And, you know, th- there might be some people that, you know, don't think that, that Jonathan Allen – is a Heisman Trophy candidate, that he's not the best defensive lineman in college football, but guess what he is? um, Much in the same way that Reuben Foster is the best offensive lineman. Um, So, you know, I I think that's one of the, when when you start, because I'm I'm guilty, more guilty of this than anybody. Um, You know, everybody's sitting around looking about how, you know, Alabama matches up with Washington in the playoff, and You know, if they beat Washington, who are they going to face? You know, Ohio State or Clemson. I'm already focusing on uh, spring practice next year. Uh, You know, the good thing is is J.K. Scott's not going to turn pro early, and he'll be back next year. You know, there's going to be a new place kicker. Um, You know, Alabama returns, um, let's see, nine starters. You know, when you – wait a second, no – Let's see, Cam, O.J., excuse me, eight starters. you got to factor Curvin in now that he's the starting right guard.
4: Mm-hmm. Right, right. So,
3: eight starters. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, really the only thing that has to be um, rebuilt from a depth chart on this team is, you know, Alabama has to finish strong this year with bringing in defensive linemen. Um, right. You know, the back Absolutely. end of that defense is solid, um, you know, uh, Rashawn Evans, Sean Dion Hamilton, you know, if he recovers quickly, um, you know, those are your guys inside. You know, I fully expect uh, uh, them to move uh, Anthony Jennings to defensive end. And, you know, your two outside linebackers are going to be Christian Miller and uh, Terrell Hall. So, you know, when you start looking at what they're going to put on the field next year, at least on the – you know the starting eleven on both sides of the football. It's going to be you know the most talented team in the country, but you know still right. they have to play that schedule that's put in front of them. But um, you know they're they're getting I think uh, you know their fair share of postseason awards. You know, Jalen Hurts, you know, SEC Player of the Year, SEC Freshman of the Year. Um, where where I think you know the awards pickers kind of missed out on this 2016 Alabama football team is uh, Jonah Williams, you know, should be getting mentioned more um, with first-team SEC status. Um, Deron Payne should be getting mentioned more uh, with first-team SEC status, and obviously Ryan Anderson who's um, oh, not yeah. going to be coming back. You know, he's a graduating senior. And will yeah, play that in the NFL as long as his body holds up. Um, you know, those are the three guys that I think that have been snubbed more than J.K. Scott.
2: Well, William, I, got, I, I didn't want to interrupt you. You were having some great points there, but we wanted to let you know that uh, Alabama has a fourth Outland Trophy winner in their time uh, as, a, as a program and as Cam Robinson has been named the recipient of the best interior lineman in college football.
3: Well, I think that's uh, well-deserved, and and for a lot of different reasons. You know, I, I think that, you know, Cam kind of started off a little bit slow this year um, right. early in the season. And, you know, maybe that was, you know, attributed to, you know, the legal trouble that he got into – uh, back in Louisiana in the summer. But I'm going to tell you something. Starting with the Tennessee game in mid-October right. through last Saturday night, that guy has played with more passion and, uh, you know, more piss and vinegar than I've seen out of an Alabama offensive lineman in a long time. And, uh, you know, you, you got to tip your hat and say thank you for your three years of service. He's gone. He's going to be a top 15 uh, draft pick um, despite what you read on the Internet. Uh, NFL (laughs) GMs will see, you know, his greatness despite whatever the drafts look at. But, you know, at the same time, that's why, you know, I'm kind of putting a premium on uh, Bradley Bozeman. Um, you know, I've got some friends that are, you know, in the NFL scouting business, and, you know, th- th- this this kid, Bradley Bozeman, is the hottest commodity right now in, you know, the NFL scouting business, um, you know, gray-shirted, you know, came to Alabama, uh, floated around on, on the whole offensive line, you know, I think he can be a Very effective football player at every position along the offensive line except for left tackle. And they've got their sights set on Bradley Bozeman. Um, You know, totally different football player than Ryan Kelly last year. You know, Ryan Kelly's more of an athletic guy um, that can get a hat on a hat. But, you know, he struggled a little bit with powerful defensive tackles at the point of attack, but that's where Bradley Bozeman excels. Um, he, he's, you know, not as athletic as Ryan Kelly, but, man, go back and watch that play that we were talking about earlier, Drew, where, you know, Deron Payne leads Bo Scarborough through the hole and watch what Bradley Bozeman does in kind of combination with Corrin and Curvin and, uh, on the uh, – the gap technique defensive tackle that Florida put there um, on that play. I mean, this kid, you know, great story. And this is why, you know, people, you know, they look at stars and they want to say, you know, hey, we're getting all these five stars and, you know, it's Alabama, it's Nick Saban. Bradley Boseman was a three-star prospect. And I think, you mm-hmm. know, coming out of high school, that was my, might even have be been a stretch. But this this guy, you know, he took a gray shirt, um, you know, came into the program late. I mean, he's worked his ass off. And, man, I'm just telling you, I mean, I've got a lot of friends that are in the, you know, the NFL scouting network, and they love what they see from Bradley Bozeman. And it's all the same consistent stuff. Uh, No bad snaps. um, No uh, miscommunications. Uh, you know, no, no, you know, whiffs or whatever. You haven't seen a penalty called on him all year. And all of a sudden, you know, he's put his time in with this program in a five-star dominant program. And he's risen to the top with his worth work ethic.
1: And, you know, he's
3: turned into a, you know, Dave Remington's, you know, Dean Steinkieler type of offensive lineman from the early 80s in Nebraska. And that that's the scouting report that everybody gets. If he gets his hands mm-hmm. on you, he's going to break you.
4: Yeah, that's
2: very true. And
3: Jake Butt of
2: Michigan won the uh, John Mackey Award as the top tight end, so O.J. Howard didn't win that award, but had a very good year. Uh, they still got to announce the, uh, the, the Bednarik Award, so John Allen could bring home more hardware. Uh, for the University of Alabama, but they've announced the uh, Walter Camp All-American team. Alabama with five selections there, and our boy Zach Cunningham is on that team. William, well deserved, as a, he looks to be headed to it be a first round pick. His final game in Shreveport, Louisiana, uh, uh, in uh, in the uh, in the camp. Uh, I guess the uh, – I, I can't even remember. I'll just call it the what used to be – it's still the Independence Bowl. I think it's the Camp Outfitters Bowl now or something, but still the Independence Bowl. But, again, Alabama with a lot of hardware coming home and, uh, as you said, well-deserved. And I, I know uh, – uh, I'm getting ready to try to get your former teammate on my show, uh, John Copeland, and I was watching the, a replay of the, the SC Championship game you referred earlier in our conversation, and I got to tell you uh, – it's hard to believe, he. Yeah, they listed him at 271, but he was such a dominant football player, both against the run and the pass. And I never, you know, it's hard to say that I ever thought I'd see one like him, but Jonathan Allen is the closest that I've seen to your former teammate that I know you just loved going against in practice.
3: <laughs> yeah. Um, you, know, you know, people used to ask me that question all the time, you know, when I was at Alabama. Um, you know, who, who's the... Uh, you know, the toughest guy that, you know, you've ever played against. And, you know, my initial reaction would be, uh, you know, in 1991, you know, the answer would be Brad Culpepper, you know, who was a great, you know, All-American defensive tackle from the University of Florida that I think played in the NFL for 15 years. But my my initial reaction would be, you know, every day in practice against John Copeland, um you know, people would say, well, you know, what about Eric Curry? And I'm like, well, you know, if you if you shrunk Eric down into the interior of the O-line, D-line game, um, you know, Eric wasn't very heavy, and, you know, he had a great initial burst first step. Um, if you could stop that, you know, you were a hero. But, you know, as far as John Copeland's concerned, um, you shrunk him down into that narrow space. You know, shit. He'd make the decision. He could either run around you or run your ass over. And uh, you know that that was the the hardest guy that I ever had to block. John Copeland, no questions asked.
2: And uh, John Allen, uh, I think is that kind of all around player. He's been completely dominant, William, uh, thus far. Uh, and uh, again looking forward to him hopefully taking home some more hardware we'll see if that happens they're about to give away the lombardi award right now uh as the uh the, the, this award show and or excuse me and the uh and the bedneric award uh so i i guess I, I i digress i think they've already given away the lombardi award my apologies but they are about to give away the bedneric award we'll announce it on the show uh the finalists of course are uh, Miles Garrett of Texas A&M, who had a dominant year, John Allen, uh, and, and uh, Jabril Peppers, who is a Heisman finalist. I think John should have been as well. Never to win the award. It's not a defensive award. I mean, really, the Heisman Trophy, is everyone knows, is an offensive award. But Jonathan Allen had the kind of year and the kind of impact uh, that I think he should have been a finalist. Garrett is a completely dominant player when healthy. He wasn't healthy a lot this season. So uh, he, uh, you know, at least the second half of the year, so he didn't have as good a year. So these are the three finalists, and we'll tell you in just a second who's going to win the award. Uh, you know, uh, Jabril Peppers basically played linebacker this year, had 72 tackles, had one interception, uh, played quite a bit on offense. But we'll see who wins the Bennerick Award. John has already made history winning, uh, as we said, the Nagurski Award, the first national Defensive Player of the Year award won by an Alabama football player because they didn't have it back when Derrick Thomas did. And now we have a two-time winner as Jonathan Allen is also the Bednarik Award winner, William.
3: Well, let me tell you something. Um, As a former offensive lineman, I can see what this guy does um, with his skill set. Number one, Jonathan Allen should be a Heisman finalist. Um, Anybody that tries to put him in the same conversation with Jabril Peppers of all people. Minka Fitzpatrick shits all over Jabril Peppers as a hybrid linebacker safety however you want to draw it up. Jonathan Allen is the most dominant defensive football player I've ever seen. Since John Copeland, um, who I played with, shared a, uh, a dorm room with and a locker room with for two years, uh, no questions asked. You know, no debate. Um, it's not even worth talking about. Um, Jonathan Allen will play in the NFL as long as his body holds up. He is a team leader. Um, he, he, you know, and I think that's a process, Drew, of of what Nick Saban does. Hang on a second, let me turn my window up so this dog will shut up. Um, that that guy, you know, was recruited as a jack linebacker, came to Alabama, you know, got transition, transitioned into a defensive end, and what he has grown into, salute monster. And when you watch those games on Saturday and and what he brings to the table for Alabama's football team, um, in my opinion, outside of Derrick Thomas, he is the most dominant Alabama football player I have ever seen since Derrick Thomas.
2: And that's, uh, that's saying quite a bit, William. And that's a great way to end this segment. We thank you for joining us as always on BAM's Radio. We look forward to after you, see, you know, watch some more film, getting a a bigger uh, look or and taking a longer look inside the Washington Huskies. But it's been great tonight to have you on with us and and talk a little bit uh, about where this Alabama program is and where it could be going. Likely by the end of the night, we'll know Lane Kiffin probably headed to Houston. But thank you for joining us and stay warm. It's uh, freezing over here in Huntsville uh, in the twenties over here. Uh, but, uh, thank you as always, and have a great night.
3: Thank you, Drew.
2: That's William Redfish Barger and Thomas Watts and I are now going to go on our five minute break. And after we come back, we are going to bring you a conversation I had with Rob Sellers of the Cougars Den part of the scout.com network about Lane Kiffin. As we take a look at what could be going on with the decision-making process as uh he could be the next Cougar head football coach.
4: Backwoods, Tennessee Byway One arm on the wheel Holding my lover with the other A sweet, soft, southern thrill Worked hard all week Got a little jingle On a Tennessee Saturday night could not feel better. I'm together with my Dixie Land tonight. Spend my dollar, park in a holler, need the mountain moonlight. Hold her up tight, make a little oven, a little turn it oven on, a make some big It's my life. Oh, so right My name Watchin' on clover, red tailed hawk sitting on a limb, chubby old brown hawk croaking bullfrog, free as a feeling in the wind. Homegrown country girl, gonna give me a whirl on a Tennessee Saturday night. Lucky at the seven. Living in heaven With my Dixieland delight Spend my dollars Or still holler me Make a little A
0: little turn on my And we are back for hour number two of BAM's radio. Dixie Land Delight, Band and bryant Denny, Never Band here. It was a great first hour if you're just joining us. We had a long conversation with William Redfish Barger talking, you know, SEC championship and the ongoing awards ceremony. If you're listening live, obviously the college football awards are still going. If you are uh, catching us on a podcast, you will get a little bit of stuff that hopefully has already been spoiled if you pulled up Twitter or anything. But just the same. It's whatever, you know, but we have a great second hour, Drew, but we want you to tell our listeners where we're heading for the next oh 50 minutes or so. Yeah, absolutely. we're going to have a talk We're going to hear an
2: interview I had with Rob Sellers of uh, the uh, Cougars Den about Lane Kiffin and uh, the job uh, that he he may uh, be uh, getting uh, at the University of Houston. I know there was reports earlier today uh, that uh, he would uh, be the head coach of the Cougars. Uh, and then uh, but they're meeting tonight to continue to decide that situation. So uh, we will see what happens there. Uh, many thought Les Miles was out today and that the uh, three finalists were offensive coordinator, Major Applewhite, defensive coordinator, and interim coach, Tony Orlando, and then Lane Kiffin. And uh, I got a chance to speak on Tuesday with Rob Sellers, who gave us a timeline for the situation and kind of looked into what the Houston administration may be thinking. Uh, Rob, it's always great to connect with you. Welcome to Talking Ball for the first time. How are you this morning?
5: I'm doing great. Thanks for having me.
2: Yeah, Rob, we really appreciate your time. We know it's a very busy one uh, with you covering the beat with the Houston Cougars, and uh, they're coming off another excellent season. Uh, The second one under Tom Herman, who's now moved on to the University of Texas. No one around the Houston program was surprised that he ended up in Austin as their next head coach, but now it's the next chapter. uh, And this is a program that's uh, was, you know, nearly a member of the Big 12. I, I still think it was a mistake that they weren't uh, invited, but it's one of, the, one of the better jobs of the non-Power 5 leagues, uh, and now they're in search of a head coach.
5: Definitely. I think, uh, you know, with Tom Herman moving on, everyone, like you said, kind of expected at some point he would move on. Uh, there was a lot of people that knew that Texas was a job of his that he had his eyes on at some point, you know, not knowing quite when he would open up but. In the end, I think he moves on. He did a great job. As some of the sting of it wears off, you know, the jilted lover type situation moves on, and, and time will heal all the new coaches announced. I think a lot of Cougar fans will agree he left the spot uh, better than he found it even with just two years on the job. So the amount of uh, success he was able to have, the recruiting traction he was able to get against some of the bigger schools in the state, as well as the, the, mm. the uh, facilities that he was able to continue to push and push leadership to continue to build. I mean, they broke ground the day after their last game, or the day after the Louisville game, excuse me, uh, on a new indoor practice facility. So, I mean, although he's moved on, that's already in motion, and that's, that's all things the next coach will have at his disposal when when he uh, takes the helm.
2: Yeah, and, I mean, that's going to make it a very, very attractive job, and it's in a very fertile recruiting area uh, in the state of Texas, a lot of great high school football there, and we saw Tom Herman really uh, starting to recruit well and attract some four- and five-star level talent like Ed Oliver, who is one of the best defensive linemen in college football. But I guess uh, for our listeners, kind of update us on uh, I know it it can almost change hour to hour, but uh, (laughs) kind of update us on this uh, hot board of the the coaching situation at Houston.
5: Definitely. I I believe that they're down to a good solid four candidates right now. The two in-house candidates being the coordinators, uh, Todd Orlando, who's been named the interim head coach for the bowl game, as well as Major Applewhite, uh, we'll have or already have uh, interviewed. Also, in addition to that, Lane Kiffin's the big name, obviously. While we're talking, is a name that's been out front for us here for a couple days now. I believe Houston's probably to the point where they're negotiating. I learned last night that the uh, interviews were fi- were done, and that uh, from everything that I've seen between uh, reports online and who I've talked to the last 48 hours sounds like they're negotiating a bit and this is where it could get tricky as Houston is looking to have a large buyout to try to avoid what's happened the last few coaches with Mm. uh Barb and Kevin Sumlin and now Tom Herman all moving on for bigger jobs trying to see if they can combat that a little bit and maybe get somebody that's committed to stay for more than a couple years so that's going to be something that'll be interesting to watch as negotiations move forward and see if if there's a happy medium that they can they can meet at and, and make Blaine happy and uh Go ahead and get this thing announced this week, hopefully.
2: And so, in your mind, uh, we were hearing yesterday that the top two—you uh, talked about the coordinators, the offensive and defensive coordinators—both uh, uh, interviewing for the job. But it, the top two, Lane Kiffin and Les Miles, is that pretty much uh, the, what what you're hearing?
5: Yeah, that's correct. And it feels to me like they're, like I said, I think they're negotiating with Lane at the moment. And depending on how that plays out, worst case scenario, right. if things were to fall apart, I think they'd fall back for less miles and then and see where it goes from there. But I think their choice right now is Lane Kiffin. I feel like they're negotiating, trying to get on the same page and make everyone happy and hurry up and move forward so that Lane can hit the ground, uh, start assembling a staff to try to, to hold on to some of those recruits that are in the fold and wait to see what the next option is going to be.
2: And, and, of course, we saw two years ago – Uh, Tom Herman uh, stayed with uh, the Ohio State Buckeyes and led them to the national championship, and I think it was a a big boon for Houston. It got them a lot of exposure because of the high profile of Tom Herman and what he did with that program, beating Alabama and winning the national championship over Oregon. Uh, What are you you hearing uh, as far as if they hire Lane Kiffin? uh, Would the administration want him there immediately, or would they be comfortable with him staying with the Crimson Tide through the playoff?
5: I think it's one of those situations. That's probably something that's that's one of the points in the the negotiations. Um, I've heard varying reports now online. Different Mm. people have said that he would stay or he wouldn't. So, uh, obviously, someone, either he or a quick formed staff, is going to have to be in place quickly. I I still assume what's left of the staff will go ahead and coach the bowl game, which they, they have an early bowl game. Houston does on December 17th in the Las Vegas Bowl. Uh that, that, I think, was a re- there's a reason mm-hmm. they chose that. I think they want to get that out of the way, play as early as possible, and then have everything settled moving forward for that long stretch leading up to uh, signing day, obviously, in February. I think they need some sort of the, – the new staff's got to have people on the ground quickly, whether it be Lane himself or similar to when Tom Herman came on board. He started quickly assembling the staff that hit the road very fast, and then he would come in every time possible. You know, he had the famous quote where he lives, was able to do both jobs. Basically, lived off of Red Bull and coffee, and so it might be one of those situations where he's going to have to juggle a bit. I know uh, Nick Saban obviously is a guy that wants, probably will want as little uh, distractions for the team as possible as they could, as they prepare for their uh, playoff run. So uh, we'll see how that plays out. There's a lot more than just Lane and Houston at play there. You know, is is Nick Saban okay with him leaving immediately? Does he feel comfortable with that it won't cause any uh, you know problems for them and their preparations obviously that's important for them right now get prepared to make another run for a national title so again i think no matter what he has to have somebody on the ground to be talking to recruits almost immediately
2: right and then uh y- your thoughts on lane kiffin i when uh as this season was uh, evolving for alabama and I think everyone knew he was he was going to start getting some head coaching opportunities. He didn't get the ones he wanted last year, but when this job came open at Houston, when Tom Herman made it official, I was telling people I felt like Houston was the perfect fit for him because it's a job where, as you said, uh, they're building an indoor facility, they've really upgraded their facilities, uh, and now uh, they're really putting a lot of money into the program. Uh, where even though it's a non-power five job right now, it you know they were paying Tom Herman around uh, three million a year. Uh, are you hearing they're going to pay around the same salary? And uh, I know that would be very attractive to someone like uh, it should be to Lane Kiffin, who I think, uh, and it shows how the, the salaries have skyrocketed in college football because I think when he was at Tennessee back in 2009, he only made $2 million. Uh, So it would seem to be a good fit for him uh, with, this, with uh, the facilities and the money and the uh, commitment by the administration at Houston.
5: Yeah, I think it's a very, <clears throat> excuse me, very attractive job, like you mentioned. Facilities, they you know, like you mentioned as well earlier, they've been making this push to get into the Big Twelve or any Power Five conference for you know five, six, seven years now, and that's included revamping all their facilities, the new stadium, the practice facility we mentioned. They've redone their current practice situation as far as their fields. I mean, everything has been geared towards you know making everything the best possible situation to get that invite. And so, whoever the next coach is going to be, we're off, obviously working off the assumption of being Lane Kiffin at the moment has a ton of things at his disposal, and I think they will stick in that $3 million range that they will. You know, I've obviously heard that to keep Tom Herman, they were willing to go much higher, maybe even in the five range, mm-hmm. but that was for Tom Herman right. for that, you know, that situation. And so I think they will definitely continue to step up, which is something they began with their extension of Herman last year. This is a price range that Houston's never really been in, and it's something that's, again, giving them yet another tool to sell to a a name head coach like Elaine Kiffin to tell them, come in, we'll pay you a competitive rate, we'll give you all these facilities, you're in a fertile recruiting ground. I mean, it really can't be expressed just how attractive this job is for whoever gets it next. And it's going to be someone they're going to hope is going to be able to come in and maintain that momentum and and hopefully continue towards eventually getting into a Power Five conference whenever we hit the next round of uh, shakeup.
2: And then with this administration, uh we we've seen the in previous years uh with uh Kevin Sumlin, Art Bryles, uh when and Tom Herman uh and uh, you know they they've been they have had to uh you know replace head coaches quite a few times. It seems to be a job uh which is they like an offensive oriented head coach. Is this why they're so attracted to Lane Kiffin?
5: I think it is. I think ultimately you have a lot of offensive uh, weapons that are currently on the team that uh, you know that have been built around an offensive-minded system. Don't get me wrong, Houston's defense was really good the last couple mm-hmm. of years, with Todd Orlando. But it's always been that offensive school, going back to the run and shoot days and and all that. I mean, someone was here with Case Keenum and their stuff. I mean, it's always been an offensive-minded school, and I think that they would probably like to continue that. They would be willing to to veer from that, I guess, for the right. Uh, for the right candidate. But I think ultimately they want to continue to be known as that offensive fireworks school. That's just yet another attractive thing for recruits. Maybe they can give you when you need every edge that you can get recruiting in this state. And it's also another selling point to the fans. They come see us score a lot of points. I mean, this is one of those things that Houston has to successfully do in order to compete at that level until they find their way into that money level of a power five school. So, I mean, obviously, Tillman Fertitta's been in the news, as leadership. He's the, the, the billionaire. You know, he owns uh, restaurants and casinos across the country. He's the chairman of the Board of Regents for the University of Houston at the moment. And he's kind of taken it as his personal duty to try to help Houston get to that next level. He's given a lot of money. he was been in the right, right in the middle, and he's one of the ones screaming the most at the moment for this huge buyout. We'll see. Again, I mm-hmm. think he's probably coming in outside the market scope and it'll probably reel itself back in a bit, and everyone will find a happy medium. But,
1: so they, again, I, uh, so that's where I think negotiations go ahead, are
5: going on. No, you're fine. Go ahead.
2: No, I was going to ask you. So, in the end, because I remember when Jim McElwain was at Colorado State uh, and he got hired by Florida, there was a small sticking point. They had a huge buyout at Colorado State that Florida had first balked at, and they had to find a happy medium, and they did so, and he ended up at Florida. So you think, in the end, even though they do want this, that it's not going to be like – do you think it can be worked out between uh, Houston and Jimmy Sexton and get Lane Tiffin uh, as the next Cougars head coach?
5: Yeah, as we said this morning, I think they're in negotiations, and I've not heard anything yet. But I think ultimately both sides will balk a bit. You know, you had the leak saying that the buyout may be too big. You'll have to assume that came from, from Lane's side of things and Jimmy Sexton – and then, of course, you know, Tillman, uh, like I mentioned a while ago, Tillman Fertitta's been in the news screaming about the buyout. So I think everyone's posturing a bit publicly make sure they say face a bit. And in the end, you'll end up with a happy medium. I still think – I've not heard anything to tell me that it's derailed yet. So at the moment, I'm still, uh, you know, working off the assumption that it's going to be Lane, and they're working out the contract. Details.
2: Well, and Rob, I really think with Lane, it, this is important for him if he takes this job because – He only stayed at Tennessee one year. Uh, He didn't have extended success with the Raiders just over a year. Uh, And then uh, with uh, Southern California, I think it's important for him to stay somewhere four to five years and have extended success, uh, whether if he ever wants another, you know, Power five, you know, plum job. Uh, Those are, but those are few and far between to get, uh, you know, the uh, top five to ten jobs in college football. And then with the way that that the landscape keeps changing, uh, if he if he has extended success at Houston, they could end up in a power five league, and he could end up in Tom Herman's position two to three years down the road. Uh, You talked about their uh, their commitment at Houston, where you can make uh, the uh, five million dollars a year.
5: Right, exactly. And like you said, if it comes to that point in three years down the road, he's been so successful that he is plucked away and someone pays the buyout. That's not a bad thing for Houston. That means you've been really successful for three years, continued that success. And again, you're probably unfortunately searching for the next top coach, but you've got a good track record. Evidently, the leadership that's been involved in picking these coaches has done a good job. And again, you've proven yourself and you're that much more attractive again for the next coach. So... I know they want to try to get out of this this horrible cycle that they're in, and it's one of those deals they're going to have to do their best effort and, and ride it out and see how it plays out. And it's an unfortunate circumstance they find themselves in until they can find their way into that bigger conference.
2: Well, and the one thing that you've uh, – that talks about how much everything has changed is uh, – we. Uh, I was I was just trying to monitor this situation yesterday, and at one point when Art Bryles came back to his alma mater and had it rolling – uh, he was making three hundred thousand a year. Uh, now the, the next head coach, Tom Herman, was making three million uh, this past season. Uh, but the new hire could uh, already be uh, all, uh, in the three million dollar a year range. Which, when you think about it, everyone in the SEC West is making four million plus. But three million, three and a half million, is a very significant financial investment.
5: It really is, and I think uh, Tom Herman. You know, he he said a lot last year he often brought up the, the, the point that Houston really is a job where you can win your most of your games every year and get to a Power Six Bowl until they get into that bigger conference. All you have to do is win your games. You win that conference, you're in a, a little bit lighter conference. You're going to have – you obviously – you're at that echelon now where you're, you're at the top of the Power Five, as far as you're getting and stuff like that. Win just about every one of your games and go to a Power Six or be in the conversation right there for a Power Six Bowl every year as the American Athletic uh, Conference champion – And then on those years, you're able to put it all together and and get a few breaks and you go undefeated. At the moment, you'll probably at least be in the discussion for the playoff, and then it's somewhere down the road when it expands to more teams, which it likely will. Then, even then, you'll probably have guaranteed spots in the playoffs for for your conference champions of of the American Athletic Conference. Of course, this is the the, the hazy crystal ball of down the road, and who knows where everything's going to end up. But, but, I mean, it's it's an attractive job, and I I think – Whoever is the next person is is going to be able to hit the ground running and have immediate success there.
2: And then uh, you talked about Coach Orlando taking over for the bowl game. Uh, Do you expect most of this current staff that's left to follow Tom Herman, or is it going to be uh, Tom Herman kind of trying to pick and choose a little bit?
5: Yeah, no, it it probably is. He's already uh, picked through a lot of the staff, and they've left It's a sore spot right now for Houston fans, understandably. They've been left pretty pretty bare for the bowl game and mostly right. for recruiting at the moment. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, Craig Nivar stayed on to coach, and he's gonna he's already been named as, as going to the Texas staff. He's the defensive backs coach. Um, uh, the, the two left, like you mentioned, are Applewhite and Orlando. A lot of people believe if once the bowl game's over, if they're not selected, whoever's not selected for the head coaching job will will be a top candidate to probably land in Austin with Tom. So it looks like he's going to take the majority of the staff
1: with him over there.
2: And so that's why it's so important to get Lane Kiffin maybe hired this week and kind of get some uh coach some other staff hired and kinda of hitting the ground running and recruiting before this dead period.
5: Yeah, definitely. At the moment they've only got technically two of the remaining staff coaches off the top of my head that are out uh, of course uh, I'm excluding Applewhite in Orlando because Applewhite's out on the road now and Orlando was uh, kind of specifically named the interim coach so they could have Applewhite in
1: on the recruiting
5: trail he's a little bit you know considered a little bit stronger of a recruiter there so right now they've got technically three three full-time coaches left from the original staff that's on the road and other than that it's support staff uh, recruiting support staff that have had relationships with these recruits, of course, but, you know, it's not their position, Coach. It's kind of hard for them. Basically, they're in the mode right now of just get everyone to stick around that they can, see who the new hire is, and then they're going to make their decision from there anyway. So, yeah, I like to say, and, uh, getting getting some staff assembled quickly to be able to, to get into recruits' homes is pretty important.
2: And then, finally, as we're wrapping it up with you, Rob, and, boy, it's been a great conversation uh I was hearing last night that they would like to really have this done by Thursday. What is that is that the kind of the same timeline you're hearing? <laughs> from
1: from
5: from your mouth to God's ears because yes, I think uh <laughs> they would love to get this wrapped up. I've got a uh, out of town trip planned for in laws Christmas time this weekend, so I'm <laughs> hoping myself that uh I can stay out of hot water, they can get this wrapped up, at least get the decisions made and and you know, I can monitor staff assemblance and stuff like that after the the announcement of the coach, but everything I've heard as well points to them wanting to go ahead and get it wrapped up this week, if possible. So they can go ahead and like I said, just get, get people, get things in motion.
2: Well, Rob, we really appreciate it. Let all our listeners know, uh, cause they're all very intrigued with Lane Kiffin and where he may land. Uh, if this does happen. And of course, we'll to continue to follow the day to day and hour to
0: hour. And that was Rob Sellers giving us a little insight in the Houston side of things with Lane Kiffin. You know, it's, uh, 8:25 Central, and I've been keeping a weather eye on Twitter, and there's been no, no official announcement yet of should Lane Kiffin leave or not. But well, obviously, we'll be going for the next 35 minutes. So I'll be keeping an eye on it, Drew. But you know, I have to say, quick hat tip to you as always, solid audio and an interesting side of things that I hadn't really thought about.
2: Yeah, you know, Rob brought an interesting take on it, and uh, and we'll see. Uh, you know, there, there's still no clarification. Uh, on the job at Houston Uh, and of course people as they are apt to do panic and assume well Lane Kiffin's out and uh, you know they uh, and uh, well why is it taking so long well you know we'll see but I still think Lane Kiffin has got to be the favorite to be considered in this discussion and uh, we'll see where uh, it goes and I still wouldn't be shocked if it's announced later tonight I mean I know it's eight o'clock and so everybody's watching the clock it reminds me when Nick Saban was coming to Alabama and when it wasn't announced the night before and he uh, and he uh, slept on it and got on the plane the next morning. I, I was blown all to, to get out. I, oh, well, it's over. He's going back. He's not coming, blah, blah, blah. Tried to tell everybody he was. Of course, everybody panicked. And, uh, you know, four national championships later, uh, a dynasty has been uh, built. So just be patient. We'll see what happens. And a lot of things have to be hashed out. But I still think the chances are that uh, – we are going to see Lane Kiffin in Houston, and if so, it, I, but I will say this I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Even if he's not in Houston, he's not coming back to Alabama. <laughs> so, uh, these Alabama fans that are holding out hope oh, uh, he didn't leave last year, so he's going to come back for a fourth year. Sorry, not happened. Okay. So, uh, Lane Kiffin's done a heck of a job, but I think it's time for him to go. Uh, but you did do a good job also. You've been monitoring the South Florida situation. We talked about Charlie Strong, looks like he could be imminent there. And uh, I don't. I've never uh, subscribed to the theory. Well, the longer it draws out, the less likely Lane Kiffin is the coach. I mean, come on. Uh, they, they haven't named someone. I don't think they've moved on from anyone. So let's just let it all play out and
0: see what happens. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and it's it's the coaching carousel is a spinning, and uh, I have to say that I'm not desperate to, for it to continue. It's a bit it's – got, it's gotten a little old. It's gotten a little stale, Drew. But whatever. Folks got well, to find yeah, their coaches. I mean, well, the
2: thing is, is, Alabama's come out of this situation pretty well. I mean, Mario Cristobal had been mentioned for Georgia's Sean Elliott of South Carolina. The offensive line coach gets that. Mario is a one, very valuable recruiter and teacher uh, on this level. That yeah, he kind of surprised me too. Now, you still have to watch Florida Atlantic because Florida Atlantic is a place – uh, where Mario Cristobal is well-known in South Florida. They are looking for a coach, uh, have not made any official hires, but we'll see. Uh, I don't think Mario is ever going to be s- super high up the uh, the uh, the South Florida uh, totem pole, and uh, we both agree that Charlie Strong would be a perfect candidate there. But uh, uh, we'll see what happens. As you said, it's spinning out of control. Uh, we'll see. But uh, we also know to end this show, In just a couple of minutes, we're going to be joined on the Sunbelt 10th hotline by a great friend of ours. Uh, I believe he's still in Montgomery, which is probably a frigid place right now. Uh, John Garcia (laughs) of of Scout.com is going to join us to talk some recruiting because he's been front and center to see a lot of talent practice this week. And i got to tell you, just kind of following it on Twitter and social media, Thomas, it has been a cavalcade of media. Usually it's a well-covered event, but this year – Steve Wiltfong of 247, uh, Keith Niebuhr of Auburn Undercover in 247. We've had Matthew Stevens of the Montgomery Advertiser. We've had confirmed Drew Champlin, who will be on my show in the morning. Uh, John Garcia tonight. There's been a ton of media covering these kids in Montgomery as that game will be played early uh, around the noon hour
0: on Saturday morning. Well. And if you think about it, you look at the rosters. It suddenly makes a lot of sense that there's so much coverage because you know, I, like even just looking at the Alabama roster, the the Alabama right. State roster, excuse me, it's littered with dudes that you're going to see on Saturdays. You know, Crimson guys that play for Alabama and guys that might play for Auburn. So, I mean, I guess it's not surprising, but I do I do see what you mean in that it has been kind of it has been kind of jarring. It's almost like this is that extra layer of cake, be, given all the other stuff that's going on in college football, but you know I can't really complain. I'm actually, I'm going to watch the game with interest because a lot of those kids will see on special teams <laughs> or or in garbage time in the next
2: year or two. Thomas, are, are we okay? Because I'm I'm kind of getting some cutting out
0: uh, via the uh, via your voice a little bit. Are we all right? Yeah, we're all right. Let me see if I'll cut off a couple of things. But it's the only it's the first time I've heard it. It's just kind of
2: well, know, it was a little choppy there. Yeah,
0: the glory of live radio. And you'll get a kick out of this, Drew. I don't know if you were watching what like, cuz you were doing interviews, but you know, uh, ESPN showed Reuben Foster as the butt award winner that they yanked Robert Foster instead. Right.
2: <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I mean, that that was fantastic. I mean, I <laughs> Robert Foster has five catches this year, folks. There's a there's a slight difference in stature and build in Robert Foster and Ruben Foster. Just ridiculously bad error there uh, by ESPN's graphics department. Just pathetic. And uh, it, we'll, we'll see. But uh, and Bubba, who's uh, always uh, one of our uh, we love uh, one of our uh, just a he is a avid listener. He says we sound really good. So I think you've uh, whatever you did, Thomas, as always, being the wizard that you are. Uh, you have got us going and rolling here on BAM's Radio. And for the last 30 minutes or so of this show, uh, we want to welcome a very busy man who's hopefully a warm man right now inside. Uh, but he has been in Montgomery this week. Uh, and before that was in the, the great city of Auburn for the Super 7. And that is, of course, from Scout.com and Scout HS Alabama, the one and the only John Garcia on the Sunbelt Tens Hotline. John, we always appreciate your time being very generous uh, it's great to catch up with you. How are you tonight?
6: Always oh, good to be on BAMS, Drew. I'm good, and I am warm. It was uh, this last practice <laughs> of the week for these All-Star games. They, they push it back, uh, and it seems to get dark so very quickly. Uh, so it was a little cold, but we made it through. A uh, good week of practice uh, here in Montgomery, and uh, feeling good about Team Bama this year. It's the one time where I kind of openly root <laughs> for a team. So
1: uh, I'm thinking <laughs> Bama's got a, a really
6: good shot this year to to upend Mississippi on their uh, one-year winning streak over there.
2: Yeah, it was a little surprising last year. Mississippi finally got it done, but they had a really talented wide receiver group. Uh, Metcalf and uh, A.J. Brown really gave them a lot of trouble. Um, just to, and I guess I wanted to get your thoughts. I don't know if you had a chance to watch the college football awards tonight, you may have, but uh, just uh, continuing to rack up the hardware John Allen uh, now this week has won the Nagurski, Bednarik, and Ted Hendricks award and Cam Robinson claiming uh, the fourth Outland
6: Trophy for the Tide. You know, and and I think certainly in John Allen's case, I mean, my gosh. <laughs> I mean, when he came back, it was already like, this may not be fair. Uh, that was kind of a feeling uh, once <laughs> that news really broke. Uh, you, you felt that way about Reggie Ragland a season ago, Reuben Foster this year as well, Tim Williams as a pass rusher. Uh, so for Bama to have four guys like that, if you throw on O.J. Howard, I mean, this is – this is I guess the result that everybody anticipated, you know, 13 and 0, SEC champs, All-Americans, uh national award winners. Um the only thing we didn't expect was that a true freshman quarterback would be leading that offense, but but lo and behold, you know, it's it's still Bama, it's still defense and John Allen is is one of the greats. Not only at Bama, but but in SEC history, I think. Uh, when you talk about an overall player, and that's that's what he is. He defines that. Um he's great against the pass and he he is the second leading sacker in Bama history but it's those other plays that impress me the most you know playing his gap stopping the run occupying a blocker or two blockers to enable Reuben Foster or Reggie Raglan or whoever in like in years past to go make plays it's occupying his role playing within his responsibility few have done it better that I've seen at Alabama than John Allen and it's for him to get the recognition now is uh, a testament to him and and again it's it's about Bama and defense and he's he sort of embodies the attitude and and the I guess, consistency and responsibility that comes with playing at Alabama.
2: Yeah, he really does. And it's a well-deserved, all the awards he's been racking up, John. And But the, as we know, recruiting has continued to roll on uh, for the Alabama Crimson Tide. And uh, I know this is a, a situation you had uh, prepared all of your readers and uh, listeners for. Uh, for a while now, it's been in the works for over a month, really. Uh, but a, an expected flip to the Crimson Tide happened officially tonight.
6: Yeah, Daniel Wright, four-star safety from Boyd Anderson High School, picks Bama. He had been committed to FSU for quite some time, and and we were actually anticipating a flip next week because, as of yesterday, he was scheduled to take an official visit to Tallahassee this weekend. So he thought, okay, he'll take the trip and then make a final decision, which we expected Bama to, to still overcome FSU in that regard. But, I'm guessing he's not going to take that trip considering he made that flip today. Uh, That'll give him this weekend off. He's an early guy. So this is the last really chance that he could visit anywhere. He already took that trip to Bama and this is a huge get. It won't get the pub that a Dylan Moses got or a Najee Harris or an Alex Leatherwood, but in terms of fit and a need, this was a huge Bama need going into this year. The safety position is one of the very few, On that Alabama roster especially a free safety deep safety type of position it's it's one of those that's very thin on the current roster and you're going to lose a couple of guys after this year anyway so uh, to get a guy who is a true you know quarterback of the defense play center field keep everything in front of you and react free safety was massive in this class because Bama didn't have on the commitment list at all last year and up until today, didn't have it on the commitment list this year, so he won't get the pub. But I think when you look back, this this could be an Eddie Jackson type of gather for Alabama. And and if Bama fans knew how good Eddie was going to be, they would have been as pumped for it a couple of years ago. Uh, but I think Daniel Wright could be uh, could be just like him.
2: And I, I, that's a perfect segue, John. And that's why you and I have great chemistry, and I love having you on the, my shows because. Uh, the, the, these interviews uh, seem to go. Uh, we kind of read each other's minds. <laughs> Eddie Jackson, a few years ago, uh, four years ago to be exact, comes to Alabama. I, I, I had the intel when he was uh, when he when he was that he was uh, found late. He qualified at a late uh, date, so he kind of was someone that Nick Saban discovered, as he does, because of his continued evaluations. He felt like Eddie was a first-round pick when they signed him. Of course, they thought he'd be a corner. He ended up transitioning to safety. So I was going to ask, what is your overall comparison to Eddie and your evaluation of where you think this kid ends up on the field for the Tide?
6: Yeah, I I don't think he'll go the Eddie route in terms of playing corner first. I think he goes straight to the free safety position, and they're very similar. Um, this kid, Daniel Wright, listed at 6'2", 175. Eddie was probably 6'1", 180, so right around the same exact frame. Both guys played wide receiver and returned kicks very, very well. Um, now, Eddie became a potential – if he would have stayed healthy, he might have been in, you know an all-conference or all-American type of returner this year for Alabama, uh, and Daniel's got that in him as well, just sort of that natural ball skills, that that um, elusiveness in the open field. I think where Eddie had Daniel coming out of high school is that top-end speed. Uh, I think Eddie could fly. Um, they're both long, but Eddie, I thought, had more of that track, um, that track prowess in his running game, and I think Daniel runs track as well, but I think Eddie can get him in top speed. But where Daniel was ahead of Eddie and perhaps why – you know, we're not going to miss on Daniel like like we did in evaluating Eddie late, was that Daniel can come up and support the run a little better than Eddie did early in his career. Eddie, and he admitted this, and it was one of the reasons he came back for this year for Bama. He needed to sure up his tackling, his physicality. It's something that he developed more at Alabama. Daniel has already, I don't want to say mastered it, but he's already perfected it to, to his degree, to to as much as you could want at the high school level. So he is a true balanced free safety he could play the run he can definitely play the pass with those ball skills as a wide receiver Um, so they're so very similar and again I think Eddie Jackson a little faster coming out of high school but Daniel Wright a little bit bigger and a little bit more physical
2: great analysis John and before we get to the uh, nitty-gritty of the Alabama Mississippi game one other prospect and uh, kind of I wanted to ask you uh, about uh, this weekend as well for the Alabama Crimson Tide, the visitors weekend. But uh, the uh, D'Angelo Gibbs has been getting a lot of buzz. And I know you felt like Georgia was in control of this uh, for, much of the, uh, for much of his recruitment. Uh, he's, I, they're claiming he's an early enrollee. I, I know you could probably clarify that for me. But uh, this is the last weekend really for these kids to visit. Uh, he's got to play in a state championship game this weekend. What is the latest intel with D'Angelo Gibbs? And and uh, he's coming off a visit to Auburn. But kind of where Alabama may stand, and if you think Georgia's still kind of in
6: control here. You know, Bama's been fighting uphill for a long time with D'Angelo, but but Nick Saban has sort of taken over that recruitment. So that's that's a first positive sign for Alabama, um, and then it's been reactionary from D'Angelo. You know, it's not like it's been Bama going crazy to recruit a kid and the kid not reciprocating that interest. Uh, D'Angelo's done it considerably. He just doesn't maybe go public with it as much as other recruits. For example, July 22nd, you know, champions cookout, invite only, 25 kids or so, maybe less than that, invited with their families, D'Angelo and dad. Both show up for that, and that's an overnight trip. Uh, again, very exclusive. Bama has landed a lot of kids who ended up taking in uh, that champion's uh, cookout, uh, and he, he obviously would, would – Bama would love for him to be the next. Um, then you talk about the official visit. He takes the trip, brings family as well. It was his first official visit um, last month, so now he's taking a couple others. You mentioned Auburn. I think Georgia's getting them on campus as well. But, you know, people always point to that last trip, but don't rule out the early ones. I mean, look at Daniel Wright. The first official visit he took was to Alabama, and everyone said, well, FSG's going to get the last visit, so perhaps he sticks with the Nulls. Well, as we are now reporting, he's going to cancel that visit. So sometimes it's about getting him on campus, getting that visit done with so that you can at least say, hey, we got him on campus. So you've checked that box with D'Angelo. And now – Nick Saban gets in the helicopter and he heads over to Grayson High School today to meet with him. I spoke to one of the best sources around D'Angelo Gibbs and his father, and there's continued momentum with Alabama. They've never really revealed a leader to us. Certain signs have always pointed to Georgia with Tennessee as a, a number two school, and I still think Georgia is in the driver's seat, but I'm thinking that number two spot could belong to Alabama at this point. Um, I think uh, D'Angelo's embracing the fact that maybe he's a safety. He's always wanted to play corner. And when it comes to those secondary recruits, Nick Saban has just a special edge with those guys. And and he's been a long time coming in terms of convincing him, hey, you might be a safety and an NFL safety if you come to school A. If you go to school B, they'll let you play corner, but it's going to stunt your growth, if you will. So I think he's starting to realize that as he matures, as he gets closer to an actual decision. And to our knowledge, he is still an early enrollee. So the clock is certainly ticking on D'Angelo again. Another reason why it was important for Alabama to have gotten him on campus officially.
2: And then before then, the final thing before we delve into where you've been this week, the Alabama visitors list that I've seen, John, and you may be able to add some clarity to it that uh, that I was made aware of today. It's not a long one uh, for this coming weekend, but there are some very interesting uh, and high-level guys coming in. Uh, Tyrell Shavers, who's uh, from uh, Louisville, Texas, already a commitment. Kyrie McDonald, already a commitment from James Clemens. And Brandon Ruiz, uh, the kicker uh, that's uh, been committed to Alabama. But the two that I find most interesting, uh, Chauncey Rivers, the former Georgia defensive lineman, is slated to come in. But the two that really, really make raise my eyebrows here are Josh Kando, who just – Decommitted from Maryland and has visited FSU and, and Penn state. And I think has a lot of Alabama. He's another guy that Nick Saban's identified down the stretch. They really like he's tweeted out. This will be his last visit. He's going to be an early enrollee. And then Isaiah bugs. A lot has happened with this guy in the last few days, although he did not show up from what I understand to his visit for LSU last weekend, canceled his old miss visit and is coming to Tuscaloosa. And he has seen Carl Dunbar and Nick
6: Saban in the last several days. Right, um, the junior college route. When you need D linemen that that's just a natural segue for you. It's just an it's an avenue that you want to explore. And Bama typically, if there's one position where they they snag a JUCO guy, it seems like every year it's along the defensive line. So they've got an, of course, an offensive tackle committed, and Elliott Baker, current cornerback uh, Javante Dean still committed. But D line is always a position where you expect Bama to potentially add, and, and and they know they need some guys who can help. Right away, uh, and two different avenues you mentioned there: Isaiah Bugs and Chauncey Rivers. Bugs, a guy who Alabama's wanted for a very long time. The problem has been getting him on campus. He's been scheduled multiple times this year, including for an official visit. But certain things have happened. You know, um, plans fall through, rides fall through, situations change. I believe uh, there was a family situation uh, during the official visit weekend. So for one reason or, or another, Bugs in Tuscaloosa just has not happened in, I think, more than a year. Um, so, really, since he became a big-time junior college recruit. Well, finally, as of today, so in 24 hours from now, we'll know if he had finally gotten to Tuscaloosa. Um, there's a reason we hadn't heard about this visit for a while. You know, I'm sure Bama's was a little reluctant with him. We saw this last year with Demetrius Robertson for completely different reasons, but nonetheless, we saw kids wanting to take visits and not able to follow through and get on campus um, but I think with Nick Saban, as you mentioned, stopping by Mississippi Gulf Coast here the other day, I think that was the whole goal of that trip. Let's lock in an official visit with Isaiah Bugs, Let's get our 48 hours with him and, and play our cards. And that, that'll be Bama's shot because it seems like every other school on his list, LSU, uh, especially Auburn, have, have hosted him a ton. Uh, but certainly Bama has not been able to do that yet. Bama has remained – in the thick of it I think those three schools as well as Ole Miss but you never know what's going on with Ole Miss recruits right now and and I'm I'm sensing that vibe and being at these practices you know kids just don't know what's going to happen there so you can't really consider them a threat for an elite prospect at this time Uh, so I really think it's a Bama Auburn LSU situation for Bugs. I think he's been tired of the everyone thinks I'm going to LSU talk Uh, so Auburn got some you know benefits from that, but but here will be Alabama's chance. Uh, he knows that there's playing time available. Bama is stressing the position. It's easily, especially now that you filled the Daniel Wright safety void. It's easily the most important position down the stretch for Alabama recruiting. Uh, so I think that's going to be a a monster visit for Alabama's chances. Basically, make or break, in my opinion. Uh, Chauncey Rivers, complete other side of the coin. He was a guy Bama recruited out of high school um from atlanta good pass rusher i remember evaluating him myself quick switch guy well now all of a sudden he's 275 pounds so now he's this tweener inside outside defensive lineman which is more of a need than the speedy edge rusher bama has some of those coming in so chauncey all of a sudden has increased his value as he's increased his size of course you worry about the off the field got kicked uh kicked off the team by kirby smart he repeated the same issue multiple times. I'm not going to get into that, the issue, but it was just constant. You know, the kid couldn't stop. Um, and now he's at East Mississippi Community College, which everybody knows of because of the documentary Last Chance You. Funny enough, I ran into two coaches from East Mississippi today. Uh, so you're getting this information before anybody, Drew. They say he's been great. They say Bama came to visit him yesterday and actually offered him a scholarship. So. This is something that is is pretty intriguing. Something could move quickly. We've seen Bama, again, uh, prioritize these defensive line guys at the junior college level. And Chauncey's one who Bama has known of for such a long time. So it seems like one of those, well, now that he's bigger, if we make sure he's good, you know, man-to-man, then potentially he's a guy that Bama can sneak in late for. And Chauncey is graduating this month from East Mississippi. I believe it's next week. So, It's something that could be very, very fast here. We've seen Alabama do this in the past. Uh, I'm sure Nick has been on the horn with his old buddy Kirby to confirm things. And, again, he went to East Mississippi just yesterday, or or Alabama did, not Nick. So I think Bama's really trying to do their research with Chauncey, and now you bring him in and you you give the old eye test, sit him down and say, hey, look, you know, if, if you come here, it's X, Y, and Z. You follow that, you'll be good, we'll be good. And we'll see. We'll see how that plays out here over the next couple of days. You would think that a kid like that would have learned from his mistakes. So that will be a very intriguing situation to keep an eye on. And then Josh Kando, long, lean. I think every other school he's visited has felt good since he decommitted from Maryland, which was a school that, you know, had expected to land him very early in the process. And I think the Terps are still in it, but Penn State has garnered most of the buzz There's rumors that his father may want him at Florida State. You know, put as much stock in that uh, as you may. But this will be his second trip to Alabama. He did take the trip with Dylan Moses and Thomas Fletcher and Trey Sanders, all those IMG kids, which are his teammates that are committed to Alabama. He did take that trip in October, but this will be official, smaller group. So we'll see how much Bama wants him. Again, you talk about Nick Saban taking over a recruitment. That's what we hear with Josh Kando and that is never a bad thing for a kid's chances of ending up at Alabama so he's the the most intriguing high school kid to watch and both of those JUCO guys if they actually make it to campus automatically get elevated to that level as well so it's the 11th hour for kids who are graduating this month but but as per usual Bama gunning for the best and uh, certainly um, checking every possible lead to fill this big void along the defensive line.
2: And now uh, to the piece of resistance, and that is the Alabama-Mississippi All-Star game, this Alabama team. Uh, hearing a lot of buzz this week, uh, John, uh, some of these kids are committed to Alabama, some are not. Uh, but I know uh, one guy I wanted to start off with is, of course, the one that Alabama would love to add uh, late, uh, and they've, uh, I know, spent a lot of time recruiting him. Uh, just your thoughts on Henry Rose.
6: You know, Drew, we've – Obviously, been asked a lot about Henry this week. And I'm ready to say that he's probably the best offensive prospect in Alabama. And I think his upside is to the point where, where he may be the best prospect in Alabama. That's saying a lot. I mean, obviously, at receiver, you've got Nico Collins. You've got LeBron Ray on the D-line. And my top prospect in the state before he got hurt overall was Austin Troxel from up your way. Um, so it's a loaded year at the top. We knew there was going to be some fluctuation, but it's like every time you see Ruggs, he impresses you more and more. Uh, you sort of think initially, okay, he's just – he's a little guy who, you know, you get him the football, he can make a couple guys miss and take it the distance. But he's become so much more than that. His route running has improved. His hands have improved. And he's just a guy who's easy to throw to. They have three quarterbacks on this roster, all Division one guys. And all of their favorite receivers at this point is not 6'5", Nico Collins, it's one Henry Ruggs. Every time there's a quarterback switch, it's like he gets the ball when the defender closes in on the quarterback. It's like he's become an outlet, even though he's the the smallest, thinnest guy among the receivers and tight ends. It's just quite odd to see, but he's, he's the security blanket. He's this trustworthy guy. And you usually don't have that in a home run threat. And there is no home run threat in this state like Henry Ruggs. So, You talk about upside, if you put some weight on him uh, and polish up his game a little bit more, and that will come with experience, uh, it's just scary to think about his future. I think colleges have sensed that, and that's why you've seen not only a full-court press from five schools from Ruggs, but I think that's why you've seen Ruggs sort of take it slow, like, holy crap, like, this is all coming at me really fast, and I think that's why you had not seen him come out with a decision even though he thought he would get it done before this 2016 season. But he's lived up to everything and then some I think uh, he's a guy that I couldn't be much higher on based on, you know, what I thought of him a year ago versus right now, a guy who's risen as much as anybody, not only in the state, but, but in the entire South.
2: And then, of course, we know LeBron Ray is a big-time target, but he has a shoulder injury. He's not, Pardon me, he's not playing this week, John, uh, but Alabama's still feeling very good about their chances with him, though he's slated to take visits and he is not an early enrollee. But uh, just kind of talk about some of the other uh, Tide commits that you've seen. And I know uh, you had some uh, news uh, from about Shadarius Townsend earlier in the week. He is not going to take visits, and it looks like he is shutting it down.
6: Yeah, yeah, he is. He's solid. I mean, he initially, you know, he took the Bama official visit a couple weeks back. And at that point he told us, look, you know, I'm, I'm pretty locked in here, but I've never really taken trips to some other schools. I think the only other school he have been to was Georgia and maybe Auburn. So he wanted to just give Florida and Mississippi State a shot. They'd been recruiting him just about as long as Alabama has. So he was going to at least take a look and do his due diligence. Uh, But a couple more weeks went by, um, and he never scheduled the visits. He got to this game here this week and realized, man, there's only one weekend left because he's an early enrollee. So he said, you know what, there's no point in, in wasting my time and wasting another school's time for those last couple of days before the dead period. So he canceled the Mississippi state visit that was to take place and, and ended the possibility of a Florida visit as well. He's been solid to Alabama the whole time. Um, He's locked in. He, he loves it. Uh, He loves the potential role he'll play, which is a, you know, Kenyon Drake sort of slot receiver, returner running back kind of combination role. He is a true athlete, you know, out here he's playing cornerback and his technique is by far the most unpolished of any cornerback out here yet he's still not getting beat very badly. He's still able to use his natural athleticism to make up for it, even against a guy as good as Henry Ruggs, even a guy as fast uh, as Noah Igbenogamani, who's headed to Auburn, or even for a guy as big as Nico Collins. He's not out of position, even though he has no idea what he's doing at corner. That's the the true definition of an athlete. He's a kid who you get in early like Bama will. He hits the weight room and adjusts to college. And you don't know where he's going to play, but you know he's going to do something positive, for a football team, so it's big news for Alabama. He's another one where again he won't get the pub, uh, but him getting there early and being this gadget guy, and he's not little. He's a he's a legitimate 195 pounds, six foot and a half, six one. So that type of size can be used at multiple positions. And I think at the end of the day, Chidorius Townsend is going to be a guy um, who makes a huge impact for Alabama. He could be an NFL guy if he finds the right position and, and really settles in and, and, and digs his heels into it.
2: And, what, and some other guys that have impressed, John, what, is, what has been your thoughts on, we, we haven't talked about this guy too much because he, he he's become forgotten because of the chase of Najee Harris and how good Harris is, but he's been committed for such a long time. Uh, how has Brian Robinson looked this
6: week? You know, Brian Robinson, he's he's developing a chip on his shoulder, which I like, and I think everybody will. You know, he hears all the Najee talk, like you said, he sees it, and, and of course, Najee's, recruitment is much more in doubt than his you know brian robinson's an early enrollee he hasn't taken any trip elsewhere since i think the summertime or maybe even the spring he's locked in he's a tuscaloosa kid same thing as chadaris he's not visiting anywhere else um and Najee, of course number one player in the country everybody wants him everybody's going crazy to to get him on campus so he sees all of that he sees everybody's ruling for the number one player in the country. And it's given him a little bit of an edge. He has a little bit of an attitude this week. And that's something, again, that I really like. That's something we hadn't really seen from him. He's a nice kid and all that, and he's still certainly being respectful. But when he has the ball in his hands, he's, he's just got a little more giddy up in his step, which makes me excited for Saturday because Najee's the number one back in the country, and all the running back buzz on Saturday will be with Cam Akers, the number two running back in the country. Nobody mm-hmm. will be talking about brian robinson so we're going to see if that edge pays off because we don't get to see him running downhill very much in these practices they're not going to let these linebackers bang with brian robinson but he's done everything else very well he can pick up the blitz he moves well for a 220 pound guy and he's always caught the ball well out of the backfield so he's continued all of that he's sort of confirmed a lot of what we've always thought about him but for a guy like that saturday is going to be his day all the buzz again will be on Cam Robinson. And right after he finishes that game, all the buzz in his life will shift back to Najee Harris and whether or not Bama can hold off Michigan and some other schools for his services. So I think he's going to show some of that on Saturday. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing that because he's he's been hit or miss this year. He's underwhelmed in certain games that we've attended. We saw him play twice. Uh, he's shown a little bit of a lack of explosion. So maybe it's this this extra layer, this intangible layer of motivation that uh, is needed for Brian Robinson. And again, you never rule out a kid who's enrolling early. That's going to help guys like him so very much. Sometimes guys need to get to college and need to sort of get hit around and beat up a little bit to, to so you can find out, you know, who they really are, how they respond to that adversity. I think Brian Robinson could be a guy uh, who maybe contributes more than we all thought he could at, at one given point in his recruitment. Uh, and again, Saturday will be a day where I'm really zeroed in on number four.
2: And then uh, before we go over the last couple of Alabama guys, what has been the uh, the, the take on Cam makers this week? A lot of people believe he and Najee, the two best backs in America,
6: uh, has he lived up to the billing? He has. You know, Cam is Cam. He's a, he's an athlete first. Uh, he's not a traditional running back, so there's all this intrigue and, and how he can develop, how quickly. He can develop because, like we've talked about with most of these kids, he's another December grad. So whether it's LSU, FSU, Ole Miss, um, they're going to get somebody who's there early, but somebody who hasn't really taken traditional running back reps. So I'm interested to see um, what they do with him. I think you will see him at quarterback, which is his position in high school. I think he threw for 30 touchdowns and ran for 30 more this year, which is just crazy to think about. Um, But I just want to see him coming downhill. You know, we don't get that. We don't get to see him reading blocks from the running back position. We don't get to see him running a stretch play from the running back position. So those things that that we've never really gotten from Cam, that's really what I want to see on Saturday. How natural is it? Is it something that he adjusts to immediately? Or is it something that maybe takes a quarter or two before he really sort of finds his stride uh, and is able to react? Because he's going to face a pretty good front seven, from team Alabama. Tons of SEC D-line and and linebacker commitments and and everybody knows, trust me, I've been to these practices. Everybody knows <laughs> who Cam Akers is. So they'll be zeroed in on him uh come Saturday.
2: Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And I guess just quickly on Cam, is as Alabama still involved or what are the schools you're hearing?
6: Yeah, you know, I I think his family has always wanted to see what was going to happen at Ole Miss. But to me, if that's a true concern with the timing of his enrollment, I don't think anything's really going to be resolved. So I feel like the other schools could benefit from that. I think LSU is the most likely out-of-state school he would attend. Mm. I think FSU's in it. I mean, these guys are losing Leonard Fournette, Dalvin Cook, respectively, so it makes so much sense. Alabama has been very minimal with its communication. I know Cam has talked about returning the favor, taking that visit, because he was also scheduled to make a visit that he never made. But it doesn't look like that's going to happen. There's just not enough time. Um, And I think Bama's pretty comfortable right now with Najee Harris and Brian Robinson as its two backs here in the class. So I think that should give Bama fans some confidence in holding on to Najee Harris. Bama isn't going all out right now for Cam Akers. To our knowledge, the coaches haven't visited him. They haven't pushed for a visit this weekend, even though he'll be in Montgomery, anything like that. It wouldn't surprise me if he snuck to Tuscaloosa for a day or so if something did change, but as of right now, I don't believe the coaching coaching staff has visited him and I don't believe he'll take a visit to Alabama this week. And so I think Bama feels good about Najee and Brian Robinson.
2: And now uh, the final couple uh, just uh, kind of update us. Uh, I've been, I've seen a little bit of a video uh, of him. It looks like he's been impressing some, although we, I think we all believe he's going to be a gray shirt should the numbers work out, but uh, talk about Hunter Brandon.
6: Yeah, you know, we talked about it this week again. He still hasn't heard of anything and and he's an early guy. That's the difference. Usually with these gray shirt guys, they're they're February signees, which means they would typically come in, you know, in May or June of the following year. You know, Brandon is still expecting to to head to Tuscaloosa here in the next couple of weeks. Now, it could change, obviously. It's the nature of recruiting and we're talking about Alabama here, but I've been impressed with Brandon. You know, he's a legitimate 6 foot 3 or so right around 300 pounds right now he says and he's playing center you know this is the position he's going to play at Alabama and he played a lot of it this year at Coleman the difference is you know they're running a, a spread offense here on this Alabama all-star team so he's having to get it to the shotgun position every single time so he struggled a little bit in the early days of the week with the consistency as you would expect but he's really turned it around the last day and a half or so he and uh Brian Anderson who's a a fellow three-star offensive lineman. He's headed to North Carolina. Both struggled early, but they've both sort of figured it out together. I think they put in some extra work for it. Uh, so he's worked on that snap, but everything else has been really good. I think Kendall Randolph, the Bama commitment, has been the best O-lineman. And I think Hunter Brandon has been the second best. I think he's been maybe the best at the point of attack of all the offensive linemen, physical kid, mean kid. He, he sort of wants to bury his opponent, and he plays like it. Every single time he's out there. So he moves well as well, laterally, which you need from an interior guy, especially a center in a spread scheme. So he's been impressive. I think he's uh, played a little beyond the expectations I've had for him. But, again, like most of these guys, the real judgment will come on Saturday. We like him in practice. But when the lights are on and it counts, let's see if they can carry over that positive momentum from, uh, from the practices.
2: And now that's a perfect segue to Kendall Randolph. You talked about how what you've seen of him. I guess going into a little bit more detail, he's, he's another one that kind of gets forgotten because of Alex Leatherwood and Elliot Baker and their high profiles. But Randolph, very solid prospect, and I think you've always said that you know what you're going to get with him, low risk and uh, still a reward. May have to wait his turn at Alabama, but a, a, good, a very good prospect nonetheless.
6: Yeah, you know, Drew, most of these kids we talk about, Hunter Brandon included, and, and I think Alex Leatherwood and, and Elliot Baker included, these guys are all much better run blockers than pass blockers. It's just natural. When you're in high school, you're so much bigger and stronger than the kid in front of you if you're a Division One guy. Well, Kendall Randolph's one of these guys who's the opposite. He's actually a much better pass blocker than run blocker. He's, a, he's got the basketball background. We all know big brother Levi played at Alabama, so he grew up playing basketball, and you see it in his ability on the offensive line can get back in his kick step very, very quickly, long strides, long arms, and he's light on his feet so he can change directions and move east and west very, very well. And what impressed me a lot about Kendall this week, he's usually doing that against LeBron Ray type guys, 260-pounders or so. Well, this Bama defense is going to run a 3-4. So that means some of these SEC linebackers are stepping up and moving outside. So your TD Moultries, your Will Ignonts, your K.J. Brits of the world have been rushing against Kendall in one on one at times, and he has even held his own against the smaller speedy linebackers in addition to the big defensive linemen. So I couldn't be more impressed from what I thought of him to what I've seen from him when it comes to Kendall Randolph again, an elite pass blocker, probably a top-10 pass blocking guy in this class, and it's a loaded class on the offensive line. He needs to catch up with the run blocking. He needs to be more physical at the point of attack. He needs to get stronger, and he knows that. He's missed the last couple of off seasons due to multiple injuries, so he's, he's missed that time in the weight room to fix some of those issues. So, again, I think that, that will help him down the road. And like you said, he's going to need some time when he gets to Alabama and wait his turn. But in the meantime, if he can bulk up and catch that run blocking up to the pass blocking, he could be another sleeper guy. We've seen sleepers in the past, three-star guys like Chance Warmack Blossom, two years down the road at Alabama, with his pass-blocking ability and natural athleticism, I would not be surprised if Kendall Randolph eventually cracks the starting rotation for UA.
0: John, I might have lost the Drew.
6: <laughs> thank you.
2: I'm sorry.
0: Oh, you did? oh Sorry, guys. <laughs> I, I'm, uh,
2: I was uh, do, doing some research. I'm right here, guys. Uh, John, I wanted to... Uh, the last thought, though, it was kind of away from the Alabama-Mississippi game. We thank you for all these observations. Great stuff. We knew you'd be able to bring the knowledge to our listeners, but there's... Alabama wants to add a corner in this class along with a couple of safeties. And i got to give Scout a lot of credit because I've been starting to hear this guy's name over the last uh, you know week or so, and, and you've reported that Alabama has set an official visit with this young man. Kind of tell us about Chris Henderson a little bit.
6: Yeah, you know, corner's been one of those intriguing positions that has changed much like the defensive line, and Chris Henderson's a kid who we've known about for a long time. He's a top 200 athlete overall fast kid and a long kid from south florida you don't usually get that combination about six foot and a half and he's a four 340 guy clocked at the opening so he's among the fastest dbs in the country uh, he's played a ton of football from down in south florida which is always fertile ground especially for defensive backs and he's always been thought of as a guy who's going to stay in state florida miami fsu at different times well, in the, in the background, just like we've seen with Daniel Wright here, Mario Cristobal has continued to work on this guy. Daniel Wright was a guy he'd been working on for the last year. We just hadn't really learned about it until the last month. And, look, Bama's already flipped him. With Chris Henderson, it's sort of the same situation. Bama has never really slowed with him. They just weren't as hot as other teams. And Chris hadn't really visited. So, like we say with Isaiah Bugs, you've got to get the kid on campus first, Daniel Wright's official visit was his first ever trip to Bama, and Bama still flipped him. So Chris Henderson has been in the past. This will be a return trip, but it's been a very long time. So once he gets to campus on January 13th, I think that will be big for Bama, especially because they will know where they have stood with certain prospects, guys that they're in on, D'Angelo Gibbs, early enrollee, Stanford Samuels, a the corner they've been trying to flip from Florida State, much like Daniel Wright. He's an early enrollee as well. Jacoby Stevens, another DV Bama likes, he's an early enrollee. So whether you win or lose some of those battles, you'll know where you stand coming into that visit in January. So I think that's perfect for Alabama. I think if you see Bama go all in on Chris Henderson at that point, it's probably because they missed on a guy or two. But that cornerback board is very, very small. But as per usual, it all starts with Sean Wade, kid from Jacksonville, Florida, who, again, is an early enrollee. So you'll know where you stand with all of these guys before Chris Henderson even gets to campus. So I think if he takes the visit, it's a sign that Bama really wants him and that Bama can make a late charge for him and push the last few weeks before signing day. But, again, he's a top 200 kid who runs 4-3, so it's not like he's a slouch or a drop-off or a backup plan. This is a priority one kid for most schools. Uh, Bama just happens to be a little hotter right now. So definitely one to watch because that cornerback board – is very, very small in terms of the guys after uh, that early enroll period next month.
2: Great stuff, John, as always. And I guess finally, what are you most looking forward to Saturday uh, uh, around the noon hour when this game is kicked off?
6: You know, Drew, I'm a defensive guy. I'm looking forward to the kickoff team, and that sounds so funny to say. (laughs) But this Alabama kickoff team, I'm not going to give away the whole roster in case some Mississippi scouts are listening, but you talk about these linebackers. T.D. Moultrie, Kenny Britt, Will Ignat, Thomas Johnston. I mean, there are some heavy hitters on this Alabama roster at linebacker, basically all of them, and they're all in there in some capacity. So I'm looking forward to the collisions. You know, it's been a little while since we've seen big-time collisions uh, at the high school level with these type of kids. A lot of the SEC guys didn't make the Super 7, so they're all chomping at the bit. To get out there and this is one of the more unified team Alabama as we've seen in this event sometimes it's a little clicky there's some diva type kids if you know what I mean but this group <laughs> very much together whether committed to Bama or Auburn or Tennessee or somewhere else LSU they're all together they're all breaking down on Bama every practice there have been no incidents but so I think that's that bodes well for Saturday so I'm just looking forward to the cohesiveness on those special teams units um, as well as these receivers I think it's a great group uh, we mentioned Henry Ruggs, Nico Collins, Noah Igbenogvani, Marlon Williams, the USC commitment, and Kadarius Toney. He's sort of the wild card, the Florida commitment from Blunt. So I think Alabama has some clear advantages going into this game. If you stop Cam Akers, this could be a really nice day for uh, Team Alabama. But it'll start with that kickoff. So I'm hoping Mississippi elects to receive so we can see that right away.
2: Absolutely. Well, John – Thank you. You're so generous with your time tonight. We could have probably talked for another 30 minutes and just sat here and talked about all these <laughs> prospects. But uh, we thank you for on this very chilly night for taking the time out to join Bam's Radio. We look forward to. I'm hoping to catch up with you on Talking Ball next week to kind of break down how this game turns out and what you see on Saturday with the uh, television lights and everybody watching. But thank you for all your observations from practice and all the knowledge. this upcoming visitors weekend for alabama we know you'll be very busy uh with uh bamamag.com and scout hs alabama
6: it'll be very fun drew one of the best weeks of the year no doubt thanks for having me on
2: thank you john that's and now we're going to wrap it up we went about 10 minutes over we hope everybody enjoyed that Had about 40 minutes with john garcia so generous with his time thank you john thank you to william redfish barger and also we heard from rob sellers still no definitive word on the houston job but we'll see what happens with that Roll tide, everyone enjoy your night and stay warm. Thank you to Thomas Watts, man the wizard behind the curtain and my co host.